Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pods. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner. Not quite as always, but here today, Jack Harper. And we don't have Sean Shoot with us today. He's using the excuse that he's meeting up with his work lot for the first time. But he could also use that excuse two weeks ago when we rescheduled a podcast. So who really knows what he's up to? What was he up to the week before or what he's up to now? What does matter today, though, is the matchup that we'll be getting into is 1999's Toy Story 2 versus 2012's Django Unchained. How is everyone doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, very well, mate. Are you replenished after a week off, Jack? Well, today's the first day of it, so no, not yet. Well, no, I meant a week off the podcast. Oh, I see what you mean. Uh, Also, for the record, you've only been back at work about three weeks, haven't you? (laughs) <laughs> and he's off again, it's, I know. It's, I love been it. busy. it's been busy in the pub tray, which is good to see. But I'm sure it has. I'm, I only I only say these things out of like pure unadulterated jealousy. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've got two my I said before, my favourite matchup of the entire first round. Um two great films in a lot of ways couldn't be further apart, but then there are some quite good similarities. So Toy Story Two I mean, I'm assuming everyone has seen Toy Story 1. I, I didn't worry that we were going to have a situation like Back to the Future where we were going to do the sequel and Sean hadn't seen the first. So just to clarify, you have both seen Toy Story 1. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like a bazillion times. Yeah. It might, yeah. Okay. It might be my most watched film ever. You know those... Sheesh. You know those films that you have as a kid where you're in in the night and your mum just sits you in front of the table? Hey, we're going to get to that because I've... Uh, yeah, I agree with you. This was, well, Toy Story the 1. The VHS classic. Yeah, fact. Oh, yeah. The, Mine as a kid was the car, the, the cartoon version of Robin Hood. Oh, Unbelievable film. That, was, Unbelievable uh, film. that and uh, The Great Mouse Detective, if we're talking Disney films. <laughs> Did like a bit of Aladdin myself. I, I had like a constant cycle of Toy Story, Robin Hood cartoon version and Jungle Book as a kid. Yeah, The Great Mouse Detective, underrated. That that Rescuers film as well that had like an albatross in it or something like that. But I don't remember anything about it. I just remember the VHS cover. But anyway, Toy Story 2. When Woody is stolen by a toy collector, Buzz and his friends set out on a rescue mission to save Woody before he comes a museum toy property with his roundup gang, Jesse, Prospector and Bullseye. Critics reviews. Keenan, I'll ask you as I can't ask Sean this week. You, you shouldn't need to mute yourself constantly this week, Keenan. You should be sound to just, uh, unless you're chowing down. I don't know if you've got back from work. Um, but critics reviews. Um, are you expecting good or bad here? Surely they're just, they're, they've got to be like top tier. Yeah, you would, you, I think you're right. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take you through it. Um, what sort of critic? Like, my only my thing is basically it's that actually surely they actually look at it through the lens of a kids film. What forty year old boy? Uh, like, not necessarily. Is... Um, which no, which I guess is part of the allure of Toy Story. No, no. But my point being, be... if you were going to write a review of it, I'm not. 
I'm hardly going to be like, oh, it's not dramatic, dramatic or whatever, you know, in terms of the other films we review. Well, I mean, we did, kill, we did Kill Bill, and one of the reviews said definitely not for kids. So it's an 18 rated film. I don't know why why this even is coming. No, to no. The but my point it. is, you, you you have to like. We've always made the criticism of critics. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. For not viewing things through different lenses, but this has to be the point where you do right because if you're reviewing yeah. this against all your preferred genre of cinema, then it it just seems pointless. Well, I'll put the cat amongst the pigeons here with the first review, Keenan, and the first sentence. Uh, basically, The Godfather Part 2 of animated features. Toy Story 2 is a sequel that transcends its predecessor and plants the idea that carries the rest of Pixar's greatest franchise. How's that for a compliment? It is high. I am, I, I, funny enough, actually, as, as ever, I was talking about the pod at work, always ready to give us a plug. Yeah. Um, uh, and I actually, a lot of people said Toy Story 2 is their favourite, but I actually disagree. Yeah, it's my favourite. Huh. Um, the film remains one of Pixar's finest moments. It's unexpectedly dark in tone, and with its underlying theme of mortality and abandonment, it's perceptively written and superbly animated. So if you did think they were looking at it from just a kid's perspective, the dark tones of mortality and abandonment, I think you've got your answer. Yeah, I think that one scene where he's being restored, uh, that's just cinema gold. It stands up to like today's kind of standards as well, doesn't it, to CGI? Yeah, I think much like we did when we did the Back to the Future pod, I'll never explain it on here, learn each week as to what we think makes a better episode. And last week we did kind of break down a lot more scene by scene. So... After the trivia, I have kind of got the most notable scenes and we'll go through kind of our thoughts on each one of them. So that's definitely one of the standout ones. If you search a YouTube Toy Story 2 clips, that's going to be one of the top ones. Uh, Woody being restored. Uh, inventive, hilarious, witty, touching and exhilarating. The final climactic scene which follows an airline's baggage handling system is heart stopping. Toy Story 2 is that rarest of things. A perfect film. Wow. Oh, good reviews. Watching Toy Story 2 is like opening a box from your attic and finding your favourite childhood toys inside. It's a mix of silliness, affection, piercing nostalgia, and yes, artistry, keeps the separate halves of the audience engaged simultaneously. So as we said, it's kind of the joy of Toy Story, isn't it? It's one where if you're a parent taking a kid to go and see it, it's not like you're tuning in to see Barney the Dinosaur and you looking at rainbows and counting from one to ten there are jokes that you're going to appreciate that perhaps the kid isn't going to understand yeah definitely is i think why this film has such an affinity with me as well i think my sister had just been born and it was i had toy story one is like my kids film toy story two was hers we can kind of like share it together and you're right looking back on it now and watching it again there are so many adult not themes but nods to the parents in there yeah um, there's some feedback from someone I don't know who that is if he's a fan or something if it is it's going right down the mic oh well the fan's not going off so I'll just sit on mute this room is actually or just shift where the fan's going because it looks like it's just going right down your mic which I think is the issue sounds like you're in an airplane actually and finally sayonara Pokemon the toys are back in town that was the (laughs) final review just to give you a sign of the times uh, not too much trivia, uh, so I will take you through it. 
Um, this is one of three Disney movies to win a Golden Globe for Best Picture. The other two are Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. There was some discussion with regards to the song When She Loved Me and its place in the film. Uh, Randy Newman, the guy who wrote the song, and he also wrote You Got a Friend in Me, expressed concern over whether or not young children would be able to sit through a whole three-minute ballad, while both Tim Allen and Tom Hanks admitted to being moved to tears by the scene featuring the song. They've got to grow up, really, haven't they? It's not that they shouldn't be crying at that song. I mean, it is moving. And that story with Jesse is just, it is sad. Can I have a heart fire? Just as a, just, just, just as a quick aside, I googled Randy Newman just as you were talking. Then, do you know what the, the most, one of the most common questions is about Randy Newman? Um, is, that, is Randy's real name? No, it is Randy Newman special. <laughs> Sorry. The dust in the scene where Woody meets Wheezy set a record for the number of particles animated for a movie by computer. Um, While driving around Al's toy barn, the gang drives down the Buzz Lightyear aisle. Tour guide Barbie tells them back in 1995, short-sighted retailers did not order enough dolls to meet demand. This is an in-joke and a fact, uh, because when the original Toy Story came out, toy sellers didn't think it would be that much of a hit. And so they didn't order enough dolls to keep up with the demand. And it's also a dig at uh, Mattel Toys, which denied the use of Barbie in the first film as they thought it would be a flop. And then when the second film comes around, they come cap in hand saying, please, can you put a Barbie in your film? Yeah. The thing is, like, that's actually 100% accurate as well, because my parents, I wanted a, a Woody and Buzz like action figure toy yeah. like, from the actual film, like the size of it. And they went around shop after shop and they tell me the story <laughs> to this day. And I still have them at my parents' house in my old bedroom. They're still in there. Hat, the batteries still work. All the lasers work. It's amazing. Well, because the early drafts of the original Toy Story, so Bo Peep was going to be a Barbie doll. So that was what the Barbie doll was going to do. Mattel, as I said, refused to license it. Um, and actually, the thing that kind of turned them around was the huge boost in sales they had for Mr. Potato Head, because it's made by the same people. So that led them to agree to have Tour Guide Barbie included in the film. And they then released an actual Tour Guide Barbie exclusive toy as a tie-in, which sold like crazy as well. Honestly, it's a genuine thing. Sorry, I was only going to say, was Mr. Potato Head a thing before Toy Story? Apparently so, yeah. Oh, I thought it was like... Yeah, I, I assume that too. Woody, uh, the, I know, like Cowboy Toys, and got Woody obviously as a character yeah. being from Toy Story. I thought Mr. Potato Head was one of. That's them. what I gather from the trivia, unless it's like they released it just in conjunction with the film and seeing how well it sold. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe they were uh, they wouldn't license Barbie because it's Barbie, and yeah. they would license some. They would do something else for it for for less. Like, if you look, if you look at the capitalist idea of all these films, and you really delve into it, it's just a goldmine. Because you're creating yeah. toys that kids are going to want over every other toy anywhere else. So you can literally think of a good concept of a toy thing, and that'll sell well, and it'll look good in the movie, and we'll sell millions of them. I'd well, love this to merchandise figures. You've teed me up quite well, because this also was the introduction of Jesse and why she came out of that in the second film. Uh, John Lasseter's wife pointed out to him that there's no real female character that has any substance to it. And so the young girls watching the film, they weren't going home and asking for a Bo Peep toy. 
Like they wanted to actually have a character that girls would want to go and pester their parents to go and pick up. And Jesse turned out to be that one here. Um, originally, Bullseye was going to talk until it was decided that he should act like a giant, adorable puppy. I think it's a, a weird film if he talks. It's just going to yeah. kind of be too many cooks, do you not think? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Slinky, the dog talks, the pig talks. The Slinky's almost like a side. Like if you've got Woody's opinion, the prospector's opinion, and Jess's opinion, oh, and then I know you chuck you, in yeah. Bullseye's as well. Maybe. It's just maybe, another maybe, character because they don't really have a character in this like aimlessly really you're either in it or you're not so it's another one they've got to kind of try and build some depth to um when the toys enter the airport inside the pet carrier uh if you look closely in the background and this is one of those things that it, people just must have just enjoyed this when they were making it you can see a boy and a girl playing patty cake on the chairs if you keep watching the boy actually just slugs the girl in the face and then hides behind the seat <laughs> and that's they've just snuck by into the film um, according to Rotten Tomatoes um, this is the best reviewed movie of all time uh, this was as of 2007 I believe when uh, they did that so I'm sure it's changed now but you can see the esteem it was held in well it still is but you know people get a bit carried away with these uh, films now I know you two are James Bond fans. Uh, as the toys exit the apartment, Miss Potato Head throws his hat like a frisbee to stop the closing doors. A reference, of course, to Odd Jobs trademark hat throwing technique in Goldfinger. Yeah. <laughs> Despite often being called Stinky Pete, he's actually only referred to that by name twice in the entire film and only by Woody, who does so to insult him. <laughs> Throughout the rest of the film, however, he's actually called Prospector and is even credited by that name in the credits. I, I um, remember watching this movie and just calling my dad Stinky Pete. For, well, I was about to tell you this, the same thing. My dad's name's Pete also, and yeah, I saw it at the cinema with my dad. <laughs> you, you're that light bulb moment. You just think this is going to work so well. Stinky. Yeah, because I've referenced on it before. There's very few films I've gone to see at the cinema with my dad. Um, but the ones that I have seen, I don't think we've really seen a bad one. We watched um, Phantom Menace which I know the opinion is out on, but I, I did thoroughly enjoy. Um, this, Hancock with Will Smith, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. It's a, quite an esteemed collection of films. But this is the standout one, because it was just me and my dad and my younger brother at the time. And yeah, Stinky Feet in the credits, when he has his uh, fart in his box and says, I guess that's why they call me Stinky Pete. <laughs> it was a game changer. But also in, that, in the bloopers after what you won't have seen this week, and you may remember looking back, was a scene with Stinky Pete during the end credits involving two twin Barbie dolls. Yeah. Um, yeah, so John Lasseter, the guy that creates um, the film and writes the script, he was me too back in 2015. <laughs> and so this really wasn't a good look. So, yeah, they've taken it out of everything, basically and pretend it doesn't exist to jump ahead to the quotes the the exchange goes uh, he's got two barbie dolls either side and he says so are you two uh, absolutely identical they laugh and he says you know i'm sure i could get you a part in toy story 3 <laughs> and then clocks that he's being filmed by the camera crew and he's i'm sorry we're we back uh, lovely talking with you girls anytime you'd like some tips on acting i'd be glad to chat with you off you go yeah. 
Now, has that been taken out of the films? Though? Yeah, so when you go back, if you watch it on Disney+, Plus, if you watch it uh, anywhere, you can find it on YouTube, but, yeah, you won't find it anywhere that Disney are releasing it. When they did the 4K release of it, um, I think 2012, they removed it from there, so they are very much pretending this didn't happen. Yeah, I do remember that scene very well. That was like, because obviously watched it on Disney+, Plus myself. Okay, so... So it was released on the 2015 Blu-ray. It was on there. And then that same year, uh, he was exposed for his inappropriate treatment of uh, women that he'd worked with. And so when they did the 4K release, that's from there on. It's not included or anything. So it's still very much out there if you want to go and find it. If we go through the film, I've kind of pinpointed seven or eight scenes and we'll spend more time on on some than others i'm sure just kind of in place of the talking points and we've got to go through some of them as well the opening scene that we we do grade is uh, one of our things that we judge they very much go into the playing with buzz don't they it's in space it how you have all of this and then they very quickly set out that not all toys last forever when you start to see gradually the exclusion of some of them so they do set the scene early as for kind of the film you're going to be in for do you really want to jump in so i missed it you, my internet cut out i was hoping really keenan yeah yeah, I was, yeah. I, I was hoping keenan was gonna save me no no so i was saying they set the scene pretty early right from the opening scene where they had the he plays with buzz and then they kind of cast some toys aside and say look not all toys last forever and they kind of set the scene of the film there right from the opening yeah definitely and it's right as well i guess it's just showing kind of modeling i guess as well the audience because you think if you're a kid watching toy story one they're probably thinking that in fact actually this might be again capitalist idea of trying to entice kids to play back with these toys because they're thinking they've all moved on to other stuff we need to get them playing with toy story toys again well i think the main difference in the first two films is the first film, you do see toys being mistreated, but they paint the picture that the only toys that are mistreated are by bad kids, basically. Mm. Whereas in in this film, you have no reason to believe that Andy's a bad kid, but he does just grow out of some toys, like you see with Wheezy. And so they are painting the picture that, that toys can be mistreated, not necessarily, you don't have to be Sid mm. to be treating a toy badly, and you go from there. So we've got the car boot sale where very much, again, the main fear of any of Andy's toys is that they're going to be passed on to someone else or replaced. You get a good little, and I don't know if you two agree, they're trying to do like a Western style thing. They're going to make the most of the fact they've got a cowboy character. They have Woody riding on the dog and he's trying to do the rescue with the music in the background and all sorts. So it's quite a cool scene to see. Yeah. I think one of my favourite things in Toy Story is when they do combine, and it's very much the point of the film, and you see things that are kind of small to us, but they show them from the perspective of the toys, and they seem to be much bigger. So things like going through the cat flap, like you see on this, getting up onto a table and kind of trying to retrieve the dog being this big kind of beast that can carry them along. But it's always cool when they do scenes like that. I think it was one of the main kind of selling points of Ant-Man at the time was kind of how cool these things look with the additional technology there. 
so when they do this here it is a very cool scene yeah it kind of reminds me as well because obviously it's like a sausage dog isn't it and it reminds yeah, me of that yeah. thing that obi-wan rides in um <laughs> revenge of the sith they must have got that idea from there my brother used to be obsessed with uh, sausage dogs when he was younger it was like the thing with people with like yellow cars like we used to have to pull over if you saw a sausage dogs you just loved them <laughs> We do then get introduced to uh, Alan McWiggin, which is a great name uh, for a villain in this. The Chicken Man. I don't know if you remember this, Jack. Do you remember the DT teacher we had, the little Chicken Man? <laughs> I was just about to mention this. He used to sweat loads as well. Yeah. Had a turkey yeti. carry on Christmas Day. Yeah, Sweaty Yeti or um, Owl's Toy Barn. And then we just we go in like the DT suite with the computers and print off pictures of Al's toy barn and just leave them around the classroom for him. I also had a driving instructor that looked just like the chicken man. So I've been haunted by Al McWeehan for a large <laughs> period of my life. Yeah, and I had um, Rafa Benitez as Chelsea manager, so have I. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the next kind of scene to get onto. Okay, so for this to be an adventure scene, and this was largely... I know I said it's my favourite, so not a great look for me. But when me and Keenan were doing the selection, we mentioned the two. We said that as much as a lot of people do prefer Toy Story 1 to 2, Toy Story 2 does appear to be more of an adventure in that them going to rescue Woody is kind of venturing outside of the world of a toy, and we do get some other scenes like that. Mm. And I love the scene of Mrs Potato Head packing for Mr Potato Head. Because I imagine that's a scene in there that's largely for the dads that are taking their kids to go and see it and they're empathising with uh, Mr Potato Ed and all these extras that he's getting put in, the equivalent of like his extra pair of pants or something like that, or the socket that she's putting in, his angry eyes, his extra pair of shoes, they have the bloopers where she's putting little cheese puffs in there so he's got snacks to go through the whole way. But it's just a great scene. <laughs> <clears throat> no, totally agree. And you can get it now, but I don't have kids yet. In like, when I'm going out for like either a night out, it's kind of, I'll just be careful. Or like, you're taking this, taking that. Like, I'm a grown man. Let me do my thing. They do seem for a set of characters that in the first film don't want to venture outside of the house at all. Like that's completely off limits. They seem quite calm about the fact that they are venturing a considerable way to go and rescue Woody. What do you think, Keenan? Just trying to save save their mate, don't they? Don't they? Really? Yeah, but you you think they'd be quite like pumped up about that. They're kind of like, all right, let's go get him. No, no, they sketch it out. Use the extra sketch. You know where they gotta go. Traffic cones save save their life and they're good to go. I I think that's one of my favourite moments in the entire film when uh, they sketch down the advert and a ham says, I've sketched up mine in a chicken costume. I, think it's, I actually the extra sketch thing is awesome. Yeah. They were they were great toys, but it's also also really well used in the film. Um, I, sorry, no, no, cool. Please. I wrote down in here that one of the bits of trivia I picked up from Toy Story One because I went back and did that there was they really wanted to create this idea that you are a Buzz kid or you're a Woody kid, and that obviously helps sell. And I remember. This is the first kind of set of toys or film or anything that I can remember being obsessed with as a kid. Like I know that 
I had a phase where I loved Barney the Dinosaur. I knew I had a phase where I loved uh, Elmo, as I think most kids did. They had a shortage of tickle me elbows around Christmases back then. But I remember properly being obsessed with Toy Story. I had uh, space curtains for Buzz Lightyear. I had a duvet that had Woody on one side and Buzz on the other. The toys, like Jack said, I remember at Christmas there was a these Buzz Lightyears that came and they had like Christmas lights on the wings that my nan got us and they had different little sayings when you pressed his buttons on the front. Yeah, but no, properly no, no. obsessed with these things. And I, I've written down that I think everyone was Buzz or Woody as a kid. I think when you get older, you, you're a ham or a Mr. Potato Head man. <laughs> and I was really weighing this up when I was watching it on uh, on Tuesday night. I couldn't work out which I like more because every time I thought I liked one more, the other one would say a line and I'd be fully on board with them. And I, I don't know how you feel about that if your favourite characters have changed. So I, I imagine that's the, the purpose of why certain characters have been put in. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's like, as a kid, you always are going to be a Buzz or Woody or maybe both. Cause they're like, what were you? What was your preference? I was, a, I, was a, I was a Woody man. I, I think I was Woody. I mean, I had both. And I liked them both. I, I, I don't remember preferring either or. I just remember watching the film and then the dolls that I had. Yeah, Woody had one of those strings on the back that you pulled. Yeah. And he would say, I've got a snake in my book. Yeah. <laughs> and like, just, I must have pissed off my parents no end just playing that constantly. I'm picturing me me turning my duvet over to be on the buzz side and my mum thinking it's like the Tobey Maguire transformation in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Flick that over and I'm just a new man. <laughs> I remember as well, like, actually, once, I think I threw my Buzz Lightyear down the stairs to see if his arm would fall off. I could <laughs> Mrs. Nesbitt. Yeah, Mrs. Nesbitt. Um, all right, what else? Have I got? Okay. Um, Woody's kind of origin story we get here, and I thought it was interesting because I think we criticised on here before Keenan. I think we did... Uh, when we did the Hangover podcast and we spoke about the danger of sequels and we mm-hmm. said with the Hangover they, they go the one direction where it's essentially take the exact same film, you know the audience is going to like it and perhaps it's easy with comedies but you don't you, you just kind of change the circumstance people aren't worried if it's like the exact same plot and yeah. then you get the other sequels where it's a bit more daring and you perhaps try to flesh out more characters you go a different direction with the mood and the tone and that kind of thing and in here, they do really try to develop the characters they have, which does seem wild when we're saying this for like a kid's film, basically. But at the same time, they do kind of pay homage to uh, the early one. Is it homage or listen to the rewatch boards and they say homage? And I don't know if that's an American thing. No, it is, it is homage. Okay, so of course we're like Alex when I'm being corrected on here. I don't like it, but I corrected myself. Um, so in the first film, you have like a reverse Buzz you get here. So Buzz knows the character, but he doesn't know he's a toy. And you have the whole thing with flicking his helmet off and this and that. And then you have the opposite in this film with Woody knows he's a toy, but he starts to fall for his story. And he gets quite caught up in that when they show him the other memorabilia and they show him his kind of background story. What did you think of that scene and kind of seeing it from that perspective? I guess it's, again, one of those where you kind of have ideas above your station and you kind of like to believe that you are better than everyone else, I guess. And I guess that's where it kind of like taps into that psyche. 
And I guess as well, as a kid, it's like a good moral story, isn't it? To always like stay true to your mate, stay true, don't think you're better than you are. I guess that's why it speaks well. It's a good way to essentially introduce you to the new characters as well, isn't it? Because for, for kids watching it, and I know we keep reiterating it, but the target audience was essentially kids. And if you can get the adults on board, then it's a bonus. And so it's an easy way to do a quick origin story for the extra three characters without saying, he's the prospector, he's this, 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 this is Jesse, she's female cowboy, she's your psychic, this is your horse, he's your trusty companion. You've got a 30-second clip of him showing a TV show, and you know who each character is from there onwards. I want to know if all of the prospectors that were made, if they're all as evil as the prospector. <laughs> so this, this is the first uh, Disney Pixar film where the villain isn't revealed to be a villain immediately. So where you have kind of a good go bad, mm. rather than you have the music come in, dun, 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 this is your bad guy, this is who you need to avoid for the next hour and 20 minutes yeah this is the first time they did it where someone kind of has the change during the film and they reveal themselves yeah um the scene of woody being cleaned you referenced it there one of the scenes you think of at first i can only imagine tk watching this because i know he has a bit of a thing with eyes does it make you squirm at all when he's dragging that cotton bud across woody's eye because i know he's a toy but as far as the film goes, he's he's a living being. No, not not in the slightest. I I actually quite like the scene. I like the intricacies of how he fixes them. But yeah, um, with the the little, uh, I don't want to say micro microscope, micro magnifying glass. Sorry, but he's got that. Yeah, and he's he's playing. I do actually quite like it. I always liked it as a kid. What shows what a strange child I was, but <laughs> I, I always I always do quite like it. But no, it's not. It doesn't it doesn't doesn't make me cringe or anything. I don't know how many of the Disney films uh, you've seen, but there's a couple of things in this where I see and you can kind of link it to what they do later on. So the way they have, uh, I'm not sure what they call him, uh, essentially the guy that does the repairs. The close-up they have of him looks a lot, looks similar to um, the woman they have in The Incredibles. That's, it's, is it Edna Mode? Is that her in The Incredibles? But yeah. they have the same kind of close-up where they have the glasses and they kind of wiggle the glasses with eyes looking massive behind it. And so I guess that's something that they kind of coined that way. Could you move your fan a little bit, Keenan? Every time you talk, it's kind of blasting over your voice. I mean, I've genuinely changed position. I'm like four feet away from where I was before. That's, that's very sensitive, Mike. Uh, good job. Don't want you getting blanked out or uh, any other gems being blanked out. You've also got before you get to that scene, actually, uh, Woody trying to retrieve his arm and he's climbing over Al. I've got a bit of an issue with this because the purpose of this is to look at Al as being this disgusting slob for lying down and eating some cheese puffs and falling asleep. <laughs> now, I really resent the way they're portraying it's, this. Because... It's those cheesy fingers. <laughs> it is. And I have thought it before. Have you ever seen someone else eat like a pack of Doritos and you see their fingers and you do kind of give them a little look as if <laughs> as if they're being dirty? But when yourself have Doritos, it's unavoidable, and you're not going to be uh, wiping your fingers off every time. So I can see where else at. Just don't fall asleep with your cheesy fingers. But that, that is a great scene as well, just to show the perspectives. And that's the first time where you get the kind of who done it, who was it that 
press the uh, remote. The cheesy finger guy. Were you getting a little bit Jesse at this point? Her going, oh, Andy, Andy, Andy. Always about Andy, isn't it? I mean, he's been kidnapped. He's been away from his owner for about a day. And you're whinging at him for wanting to go home and not immediately saying, well, let's go off to a museum in Tokyo. She needs to get a grip at this point. It's all well and good once she gets uh, her ticket home. She's been groomed by that prospect. That's what it is. (laughs) Stinky Pete. Stinky Pete. Stinky Werner. (laughs) So we we mentioned the song earlier. What do you think about the song? I could do without the song, to be honest. I, think I get the kid. point of it. You're I remember gonna... being a kid and thinking this feels long. Like so, I think I think <laughs> uh, Keenan's boy Randy Newman was right. Yeah, I'd probably tend to agree. I think it was a bit long, especially watching it back. But again, I think you just need to like it needs to hit home the sadness of yeah. this story. I guess. I thought of uh, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen crying listening to this as a sight. <laughs> yeah. What was your take, Keenan? Is Randy Newman special? I actually really like Randy Newman. <laughs> you got really do. me is an anthem. Go back, mate. Go through, go back through our back catalogue. There is uh, some absolute fire in. I really like Randy Newman. I've got no no issue. I think he's got a great voice. So you think I've, he is special? And he can certainly write well. I mean, as evidence is, he can certainly write a fucking song. Yeah. He's got your seal of approval. One hundred percent. All right, another great scene, uh, the journey to Elle's toy barn. This is where we kind of get our adventure here. It's not quite uh, Frodo and Sam marching to Mount Doom, but they do have a little scene where Buzz is the only one that's kind of enthused with uh, the fact they're on this journey. The rest of them are tired, they're getting weary, and they do have that little stop scene to just let us know they're travelling a long way. What do they say? They've got like 19 blocks left to go. They do that in quick time. That's a good old journey they get going. Yeah, that is like almost Mordor standards. (laughs) Slinky leaving his legs behind. You've got a ham falling over and his coins falling over him, covering himself. (laughs) I I remember as a kid as well, I used to arrange all my Toy Story figures, close the door and then like open it really quickly to see if they were alive. I don't think you're... I listened to a podcast and other people said they did that as well, so you're not alone there. <laughs> I'm sure there's a. I'm sure Mr. Potato Head says something like chafing. So he's he's got a hard he's got a hard ride on that journey, and he's left Miss, Mrs. Potato Head at home. He's got something to come back for. Um, them crossing the road. That's kind of pure Disney, isn't it? Like just the carnage where it's like a Godzilla film. Like you're, you're not supposed to care about the thousands and thousands of people that are just being trampled on. As long as they get into the toy barn, we That's don't care man. how many cars pile up here. Yeah. <laughs> Baying for blood. Well, they're, they're pretty reckless. And they balls of steel to be going in them cones and not even having a look. They're just trusting Buzz to say, let's go fair play to them. I don't know how Rex is fitting under a cone the same as they are, because they look pretty full in there. Rex <laughs> in his tail, he... Uh, squeezes that in it's one of those scenes that you remember though isn't it like like you said before it's just you look forward to it much like that i was looking forward to the most is them being in the toy store you've got them having to work out how to do the automatic door which is just a good little bit there 
Um, and then once they're inside and you've got this little path of them seeing all the other toys, um, you've got them in the car when they get picked up by tour guide Barbie when they're, they're in there on their own as well, cruising around. You've got the Rock'em Sock'em robots that you see. That whole sequence is great. And then you do see uh, you kind of get the mention of Zerg being there too. So it's, it's, it's everything within the Toy Story. I love it. Yeah, I guess as well, it's that level ground, isn't it, with a kid? Because for us, it's, it was Toys R Us. Yeah. And like, there was so many parallels to how it was all set out. You're like, it's almost as if this was happening in Toys R Us in the Peel Centre. <laughs> Do you ever go to, like, when you went to London when you were younger and someone would tell you about Hamleys and it was like, it sounds like the most mental thing. You go in there and it was quite literally like levels on levels on levels of toys. Yeah, no, I remember that. It's, it's a bit like Hawkins Bazaar as well in Chelsea. Yeah. You'd go in there and they'd just be like blokes flinging stuff into the air. It was just absolute mayhem. Yeah, I, I love the, the scene where they're, they're cruising along and you've got Torgo Barbie in the front. And uh, Mr. Potato Head is saying that he's got Mrs. Potato Head at home not to look. <laughs> and Ham bustles his way to the front and he says, let the single fella come through. <laughs> My man's grafting Barbie. Class. Going back to the Toy Store arrangement, though, like, this yeah. is a bit, bit of a tangent. Do you remember, like, it toys are us, you get your toy. For me, it would always be like a Star Wars figure on the Star Wars aisle or something. Then Can you believe that, Keenan? Jack getting a Star Wars toy back in the then, day? All, all you could hear... Was this pre-Harry Potter, I assume? <laughs> all, all you could hear is, like, the Nutcracker as well. And um, that was, like, always <laughs> yeah, That's on. a good shout, actually. It was always on. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great shout. You've just unlocked a memory. And then you go down the aisle to the, to the checkouts, to the tills, and they had that, like, locked box, like, room where they kept like all the Game Boy games, yeah, expensive Pokemon cards. And you used to just think like, how would I break into there? Like, how can I steal everything that is in that locked room? I want like a hundred Pokemon Yellows for no reason. They they just had to take trading cards off the shelves in Walmart and Target in America because fully grown blokes are pulling guns on each other to try <laughs> and get the packs. Like they say, people are camping outside. And they know the registration numbers now of the van that are dropping the particular cards off. And it's like that serious because of the money that's in these trading cards. Insane. Well, this is the thing. Like, the people that have done that now are laughing because last year, I mean, well, at the start of lockdown, Pokemon cards, like, took off again for some reason. Yeah. And there was, like, Charizards going, like, first edition ones for, like, $80,000. Some were going for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you think if you were lucky enough to get like four or five of those shiny first edition Charizards back in the day. And I, I was sure that I had one because I must have just lost it. But if you'd kept it in like pristine condition, you would have just, you'd be sitting on a small fortune. Yeah, Logan Paul spent like 300 grand on a fake one. And he <laughs> flew on a private jet to pick it up as well. So... We get the inclusion of Zerg. Um, you get that lift shaft sequence where it's, you kind of get on the way up, you get the diehard references of just everything kind of being set in the lift shaft. You also get the Star Wars crossover with Zerg and him saying, uh, 
I am your father, and the Darth Vader noises. So they, they do a great job in this film, don't they, of uh, kind of paying reference. Slinky makes a reference to Forrest Gump as well uh, before they cross the road. He says something, something, but uh, I know I'm just a dog, but I know what roadkill is, and it's a reference to a line in Forrest Gump. Um, so they do all these little things really well. What did you think of Zerk having a little kind of villain in there? Nice little side quest. Yeah, it, it was good. And again, you always wanted a Zerg because you need a bad guy for your two good guys. And again, it's just creating that want for another toy. I always uh, wanted to know how powerful that gun, that, that ball <laughs> gun was. I still say not today, Zerg, as as a uh, if I'm if I'm playing if not I'm today. playing FIFA <laughs> and ride like the wind bullseye. Yeah, that was a well coined. They're phrase. still in my uh, vocabulary. And Rex just knocking off uh, Zerg and having the little, again, the Star Wars reference of him falling down in the pit. Nice little bit there. Um, so they finally find Woody. He turns them down. I love Rex, uh, him saying, but I don't want to use my head. That's the first thing I think of when I think of Toy Story 2. <laughs> Old Buzz doing the helmet trick. That's an interesting uh, phrase I've coined there. On new Buzz. That whole scene, you've kind of built yourself up for them to finally get and rescue Woody, and then he doesn't want to come with them. Yeah. So a lot to take for a young kid at the cinema watching this. What you feel a bit betrayed. Yeah, you do. And I remember hating Woody because of it at the time. Changes his mind pretty quickly, doesn't he? Yeah. And that's when you know, get the turn of Stinky Pete. Yeah, I was about to say, as soon as he knows and finds out what Stinky Pete's all about, he's back. He's yeah. Falling back to Buzz. Um, so I've got some questions, but uh, the airport scene where they're kind of opening the suitcases, where I said earlier about the references, I don't know if that's like you get that scene in Monsters Inc. as well, where they're on the turnstiles and they're going through the doors. I don't know if that's just a little. Something that they thought they thought worked well with them building up that you're going to open, and then they have the camera equipment in the one suitcase and so on. Mm. So I guess, I guess as well, like they put it to very relatable everyday settings, but made it extraordinary with these toys, haven't they? With the adventure, yeah. Like so I've, go, going to an airport is always like a a task. It's never enjoyable. It's always just yeah. constant stress of. Have I got my ticket? I can't find my bag. What if they've lost it? Start to brace yourself, Keenan, because I've got a good question for you just after I read this quote. So okay. John Lasseter, who created and directed the film, as I've said, if we take his uh, future actions out of it um, for a moment. So he says, the story of Toy Story 2 is based a lot on my own experience. I'm a big toy collector and a lot of them are like antiques or one-of-a-kind toys, or prototypes the toy makers have given to me. Well, I have five sons, and when they were little, and they loved to come to Daddy's work and come into Daddy's office, and they would just want to touch and play with everything. And I was sitting there saying, no, you can't play with that one, play with this. Oh. And I found myself just sitting there looking at myself and laughing, because toys are manufactured, put on this earth to be played with by a child. That's the core essence of Toy Story. And so I started wondering, what was it like from a toy's point of view to be collected? And that's how you get Toy Story 2. Originally, they were really thrilled with the success of Toy Story 1. But 
they essentially Disney Pixar got kind of sick of the whole like, rigmarole of doing a box office release and they were going to go down the line of they just wanted to release films straight to VHS and so right up until at least halfway through making of it Toy Story 2 was just going to be a straight to VHS thing Jesus they kind of do a gathering where they get these execs in they see the first kind of take of the film and they're like this is horrific <laughs> completely start again start from scratch and John Lasseter says he basically gets this team of people at Disney that he trusts locks them in his house, so to say, and says they're doing a storyboard mission and they're just going to rewrite the entire film. And then this is what you get out of it. So all for the best. And then when they show it, they love it. And they say, we're definitely doing a cinema release with this changes everything. Did we ever find out what the original storyboard was? Um, They don't say exactly. They just say that, there wasn't much substance to it. It was very much just kind of rehashing the first film. Um, When you go back, and I I won't go through the whole thing here, but very similar with Toy Story 1, like the original storyboards were were horrific. Like Woody Woody was going to be the bad guy. um, And what you get with Toy Story 4, where it's called Forky, isn't it? That's essentially what you're going to get as your your lead hero in Toy Story 1 was going to be something like a fork or a spoon or something. <laughs> and someone had to step in and say, this is ridiculous. We need a toy that people are going to want to go out and pick up and you get Woody as your, your main man. So a, lot, a couple of close calls that could have changed the future of, I guess, Disney for good. They were looking yeah. at Aladdin being a uh, VHS release as well. And then they saw the success of Toy Story 2 and were like, okay, we best do it. I remember... When I went to America as a kid, and Brother Bear, if you remember that film, I think that was really straight to VHS by Disney yeah. around this time. I remember buying it in America and then thinking, I won't watch it there, I'll save it to when I get home. Getting it home and it didn't work in our VHS. <laughs> so for fuck's sake. Keenan, question for you here, and I'll ask you after, Jack. What is the best airport scene in film history? I'll give you some examples. You've got Toy Story 2 here, you've got the carousel, and you've got the runway. Fast Five, the runway scene. Casino Royale, you've got the runway scene. You've got kind of the chase in Heat uh, with De Niro and Pacino. You've got Love Actually and him running through uh, the terminal. Inception, you've got him coming back through the gates as a free man. Home Alone 2, the kind of dash to get there and him manoeuvring it by himself. Catch Me If You Can, him kind of manoeuvring the planes himself. What stands out to you as the best airport scene in film history? You've forgotten Liar Liar when he's on the steps. There you go. I actually like that you included my answer. Thank you. Heat? Yeah, of course it is. It's one of the best films ever made. Jack, would your answer be Casino Royale? Yeah, it would be. Got it in one. Closely followed by Liar Liar when he's like keeping up with a jumbo jet, <sighs> the airplane steps, looking through the window. Dumb and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber would actually be would be quite highly ranked as well. Yeah, I think Sorry. the best airport mm. scene is Fast Five and the Never Ending Runway. Mm, the twenty-two mile drag race. Unbelievable. Just thinking, Great right? Sorry, I've just been thinking five. as we've been talking about Toy Story Two. 
I randomly I randomly had two 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 games related to this on the PlayStation when I was a kid. I actually had Toy Story Toy Story yeah, 2. Yeah, I've been uh, remembering one all week and I can't pin what it was. And there was one that was about Buzz Lightyear and uh Star Command. So if I and there tell was also you a the level I can remember. Sorry. Sorry, so there was also a, a like a, I was going to say a cartoon as so though this is live action but like a traditional cartoon yeah, like yeah. the Pixar's animation the film about Buzz and Zerk, and he had like a little psychic that was just like a big red thing. Odd, but it was called Buzz Lightyear Star Command, and it was fucking boss. I loved it. The level I can remember from a Toy Story game was it would have been fairly early on. I don't remember getting very far in the game. I just seem to remember rehashing the opening kind of level. And you had to race RC mm-hmm. around the car in the garage. And essentially, the trick was you had to just jump rather than run and just keep jumping your way around. But that's pretty much what I remember of the game. Yeah. Strange what I was thinking about. It's also thinking about when we were talking about um red light like, toys that were red hot and you were saying about Almo and Shortage of Christmas. Yeah. More dear always used to love to tell the story of when I was a kid. I don't know what age I was I don't think I was very old, but it was uh like I was I was obsessed with the Teletubbies. <laughs> And she bought me... Um, I hope you weren't about 10. No, I, no, I wasn't. But I don't know whatever, whatever age I was, mate. Yeah, um, yeah. But she uh, she kept trying to find me one, kept trying to find me one, and she couldn't. And in the end, like a couple of days before Christmas, she ended up just buying one out of the back of a van. Just like, that was like, she was just to make sure I had it for Christmas, which yeah. that, I think on it is uh, unreal. But she was like, yeah, it's just... Like she was like, basically, I was just stood in the queue, and this lad, this lad had a, like a load of nick, like a load, load yeah. of stuff off the back of a van, and he was just flogging it out. And she was like, "Yeah, I stood there for for about for hours trying to get you one of these pissing things." Was that your go to then? Was that your kind of toy you remember having as a kid? Uh, yeah, a- a- action man. I had. Yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? There's no so action men in one or two. Do you not think? Yeah. Or was action I, I man did. not as big as Barbie then? Because it seems strange, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't, was but, that like I I. I, I don't know. Did you have an action man without it being a hero? No. They were all when you got when you bought the proper sets, they were all heroes. Scuba diving. Yeah, yeah. The, I suppose uh, the BMX one was less the, the, there was a BMX one, uh, like a or a mountain one that just came with a mountain yeah. bike and the, the gear and all. Not sure how heroic he was. I mean, I'm sure the Tour de like, I'm sure the Tour de France and that's hard, but yeah. he's not saving the world he's not saving the world on a push bike, is he? Let's be honest. Maybe that's why I guess they did need kind of the the female character in Barbie kind of is what it is, but when you've got Woody and Buzz, you probably don't need to waste any of your marketing and give that to Action Man when you've got your own that you can just license yourself. Well, yeah, the, the, uh, this is probably it. Um, I think Barbie in the first one probably would have been... I think that the film probably changes because I think the the aim would have been would have, yeah would have been more to do so essentially what you said about them doing with Jesse they probably if they would have had yeah. a license like a well known brand etc and they could have done it and got it licensed they probably do it that way um strangely but yeah I like as you say Woody and Buzz were f- phenomenal I remember having a Buzz Buzz Lightyear and stuff and like I say yeah. being obsessed with with Star Command which yeah. was also about Zerg Zerg what a guy Al was actually um, originally going to be in Toy Story 1 as kind of a small character. Um, mm. I don't know to what extent, but yeah, they saved him um, and, and then eventually used him in Toy Story 2. So master stroke there because it's worked out perfectly. Um, it's strange that we dislike him when 
I guess he does steal the toy, but when he's not to know the toys are alive, so him sending them off for big money to Japan isn't the most outrageous thing in the world. I remember mm. as a kid, I had, a, I had a Black Power Ranger toy, and um, oh, I used to love the Power Rangers. Yeah, and I was told that I couldn't take it to school, um, and I did. I snuck it in my pocket, and I had so much guilt that I actually <laughs> snitched on myself. So I, because I didn't want to be in trouble, I thought my mum was going to call the school and say, so, "Yeah." <laughs> so I snitched, snitched on myself. That's the kind of uh, the integrity that you have. Yeah. So. In, in good fellas, Keenan. Yeah. <laughs> I'd worry about, I'm not I'm the worry about you under questioning. I'll be honest. <laughs> you might fold under questioning. Um, I will say that listening to that podcast here, I, I, I would be ready to just do a good fellas podcast just as easily tonight. Just for talk about Pesci I've, for three hours. I've been telling you since the jump that I want to do it. We're and I'm worried. in the right bracket. We're doing crime next. I'm, we're, just, I'm we're just working out the system. See, see I'm, I'm worried that I'm not going to get to devote as much time to Goodfellas as I want to do if we do it in, in, a, in a film against something. Oh, well, we, we spent three hours last week. I mean, we, we, I, we've shown I there's would, no real limits. I, I would do that in a blink of an eye. Yeah. I actually... Uh, oh, God, I love that film. A <laughs> um, couple of questions. So, despite... Well, first of all, Andy's mum. I mean, I know we've been empowering these women and all sorts, but how undomesticated is she? Small tear in the arm. She's chucking him on the shelf. He's loved this toy since the first film. He gets a small rip in the arm. I said, well, you know, toys aren't going to last forever. Get him on the shelf. We're wheezy. <laughs> Maybe they're just balling out. She's not worried about money. But then at the same time, she gets offered $50 for a ripped toy that she's going to chuck on a shelf and she turns it down. So she's an enigma. We don't... What is her purpose? What does she want yeah. to do with Woody? Money's no object. That's what I'm saying. She's, but she yeah, also we'll, we'll doesn't want him else. to play with it anymore. She chucks it on a dusty shelf. Yeah, we'll get you some else. Get you something new. This is the thing. I don't know no, what she's to take the cash. 50 quid. She's not interested in it. It's not worth her time. She's also not interested in having the toy. No, Exactly. Maybe you just you just try and lead me down the road that she's not a great mum. I don't know what you. No, want no, to I'm say. saying the one the one doesn't make sense with the other. If she wants to, if she's going to stitch the toy up, fair enough. You can't have the toy. That's my son's favourite. It's been in the family. But then if you're saying, right, ripped arm, he's done. I'm just going to chuck him aside. You don't need to play with her anymore. Then it makes no sense that she turns around the cash. Maybe she's not interested in anything that's not got not got three figures in it. Said she gets it next, and uh, there we yeah. go. Al wasn't playing games. No, <clears throat> I will say stealing off a child. <laughs> no, not great. Like, no, you got to do what we, you got to do for money. But should we get into the categories before we uh, get on to the next film? Yeah. What do you think? Um, I'll go to you first, Keenan. Rewatchability. It's an hour and uh, thirty-eight minutes, and a lot of that's bloopers. You're really looking at about an hour twenty-seven. Yeah, it's made for kids, isn't it? It's yeah. it's it's not made for a long attention span. Um, I don't I, I don't I I don't know how rewatchable the Toy Story two is, mate. I, Jack, I like, see if I, you've got a contrast and opinion. <sighs> Like, it's hard for me to say it's not rewatchable because obviously I've, it's probably one of my most watched films as a kid. Whereas now, 
it's the first time I've watched it in years. And I don't think I'll be going out of the way to watch it again. I'm not going to be sitting down Saturday night film, true watch Toy Story 2. No, that, that's, again on that's, the bus that's, home. That's my that's my point, Jack. Like I'm not I'm not saying anything bad about the film. I think yeah. I think it's genuinely a wonderful film. I've got a lot of great like the, the nostalgia watching it was 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 great, and I, lo- I I really love it. But am I? I haven't got I haven't got kids, and currently I, like, I ain't got a missus. So I, not that I like you said, I'm only going to sit down. But like, hey, I love. Should we watch Toy Story too? But <laughs> that's just good to Hey. That's just says boring about Jack than anything fair, else. I might watch Toy Story three <laughs> if we go two 0 down in the Champions League final this weekend. I I you, watched you'd it. be after throwing yourself in the incinerator if you go two 0 down. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it again on the bus journey home today. Well, I watched the scenes I wanted to watch again, but a significant portion of it. Yeah, I like I I can't say that I'm gonna watch it again, but it that's not a criticism think, of the film. I think more. it's more rewatchable than Toy Story One because Toy Story 1's like very rewatchable, and then you've got the weird kind of Mrs. Nesbitt bit and the kind of depressing bit of... Toy Story 1 is phenomenal. It's the best. It I, is. I actually think it's the best one, boy. I, I don't think it's more rewatchable than Toy Story 2. I actually disagree. <clears throat> a lull. I assume we'd say a lull, but even the down bits are still fun in Toy Story 2, Toy Story 1, they need to tell that story so they don't have to do that in the second film. Mm. Yeah, no, I would rather watch the, I'd rather watch yeah. the first one again. I watched the first one again recently. Is I did very much get pumped up when he's given it. You are a toy! <laughs> Rex, when they're, flying after, when they're flying after the moving truck, honestly. <laughs> well, they do. They, they make a reference to uh, the first film in it, don't they, where Buzz is going through about all the things Woody's done for them, and he says to Slinky, uh, who was there for you when uh, you were pushed out of the truck or something? And Mr. Potato Head says, hey, we don't talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the best moment slash scene for you, Keenan? It's the toy store. It's when they're in the toy store, mate. Any particular part of it, kind of, because it's split up and you got. I love the bit with Zerg. Okay, so like, more like the lift shaft than. Yeah, uh, I do also like the fight between the buzzers. The yeah. the, the bit the airport when they're riding after it is, is awesome because it is played like a western with the music, etc., yeah. etc. I do like all that. What about you, Jack? I'm a big fan of the lift scene. Like the journey that's to Star the... Wars. Yeah, the, and that Star Wars reference, yeah. Yeah, perfect. I think it's for me the the tour guide Barbie little sequence there. Can you switch your fan off or mute key and you get quite loud again? Thought he's doing it in protest then. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> no you're, gonna um, get, you're gonna get the fun. I guess the one thing we didn't mention, which is um, I think is is rewatchable, is uh, the kind of getaway in the car where they're chasing after. Alan, you've got one of them on the pedals, one of them on the gears. You've got the aliens there going after Mr. Potato Head when he saves them. Oh, that's a great scene. But yeah, for me, um, the little uh, tour guide Barbie with the new buzz um, is, is just great. If we go on to the quotes, and you do have some great quotes in this. I'll never give in. You killed my father. And him giving no buzz. I am your father. Referenced uh, Rex. I don't want to use my head and uh, Woody ride like the wind bullseye. Woody saying, sorry, go on. 
I was just going to say I'm a big fan of that. I guess that's why they call me Stinky Pete. Yeah, and Woody saying, you really are Stinky Pete, aren't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Buzz, where he kind of goes back to the first one. Uh, Woody, you're, you're not a collector's item, you're a child's plaything. You are a toy. Um, Ham, as I referenced earlier. All right, nobody looked till I get my cork back in. <laughs> See, they're that funny that I'm laughing now. Um, uh, Ham... I was cracking up because I didn't remember it. it was, you heard of Kung Fu? Well, get ready for pork chop. <laughs> yeah. I rewound it to hear and say it again. I was loving it. <laughs> Mrs. Potato Head saying, I'm going to pack an extra pair of shoes in your angry eyes. <laughs> and then when he says, say hello to Mr. Angry Eyes. <laughs> Gets his shoes in. Um I say we stock ourselves up, push the intercom, pretend we're delivering a pizza. Ham says, how about a ham sandwich with fries and a hot dog? <laughs> Rex says, what about me? And he says, you're the toy that comes with a meal. Yeah, Howard's got some brilliant lines in there, hasn't he? I'm a married spud, I'm a married spud. <laughs> and then Ham says, then make way for the single fellas. <laughs> and not today's I think, I said. I'm, I'm picking out Said out to Mr. Angry Eyes. <laughs> that's so one, good. That one got me. My mum could hear me just cracking up in my room watching it. She came in and saw Toy Story 2. I thought, what's going on here? <laughs> um, Kanan, who's the MVP for you here? Woody would probably get the award, but really it should be Buzz for galvanising the troops. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I'm, I'm giving it Buzz for never giving up on Woody. Forgives him. I mean, I know it's... It, it, it forgives him even even after the near-death experience in the first one. He's ready to put it all on our line for his boy. That's real yeah. MVP behaviour. Buzz does do a lot of walking, but he doesn't. there's not much action from him in terms of actually saving the day. Galvanises the troops. Yeah, Organises. Yeah, he's, he's a leader. Even with that, like they don't really get him out. Like Woody kind of saves himself. Like, he grafts his way through, I mean. They're kind of there for the moral support, really. I guess it changes mind. Um, Jack, best side character. It's going to be a tough one between. I'm going to go for Mr. Potato Head just because cool. of how sarcastic he is. As much as um, how makes me laugh. Yeah. I, I have a bit of an affinity with Mr. Potato Head. I feel <laughs> me and him are kindred spirits. <laughs> We'll, we'll save the other categories for when we get to the comparisons. If we go into our second film, if you thought that was a lot, we've still got another one to get into, Django Unchained. With the help of a German bounty hunter, a freed slave sets out to rescue his wife from a brutal plantation owner in Mississippi. Critics reviews, Jack, do you think they're good or bad? Are they going to have to be good? I genuinely think this is up there with Tarantino's best work. And I've got that as a question for you a little later, actually. He's got some absolute bangers, and this one, if it's not top of the pile, it's coming close. So the first review, I can only say Django delivers wholesale, that particular narcotic and delirious pleasure that Tarantino still knows how to confect in the cinema. Something to do with the manipulation of surfaces. It's as unwholesome, de- de- it's as unwholesome deplorable and delicious as a forbidden cigarette. Now, you two are smokers, so I mean, hey. I don't know if you've tried giving up and you've snuck off a, a cigarette hey. before. 
I, I haven't smoked for 18 months, I'll have you know. Uh, well, then you may be one. Have you ever had a forbidden cigarette? I have had a forbidden cigarette, yeah. And does it, is it similar to how you feel about Django Unchained? It's, yeah, I, I get it. I, I get where they're coming from. Is that when you've had a beer and <sighs> that when you want the fag? And you can't say no to it. Have you tried giving up, Keenan, or are you just you're straight down, you're with it now? No, I've never tried giving up. So you don't know what a forbidden cigarette feels like unless you're having one around the back of your house at 13? No, no, I didn't, no, I didn't start smoking until I was actually <laughs> old enough to go and buy it myself. There we go. All right. Django Unchained may cross the line in its... What's happening with you? Django Unchained may cross the line in its excess, but all the while it remains consistently riveting up to its spectacular end. On the surface, Django Unchained is your standard revenge fairy tale but it has a mean streak that enhances every aspect of the experience. Equal parts electrifying and hard to watch. It's joyously liberating ending sticks the explosive landing. What part of this film is hard to watch? I guess as uh, a lad being ripped apart by dogs would be... There's no. a lot of blood as well. Like Whenever there's shots, there's a lot of explosions of blood. Yes, Quentin Tarantino. What do you expect? Uh, no, exactly. I so, guess... I mean, this Here you is... go then, Keenan. Um, yes, the sublime strays to the ridiculous, but all the while, I just keep picturing Tarantino behind the camera, reimagining history and whispering to himself, this is so cool. If you like his style, <laughs> this is another winner. And then finally, when we look back at history, we tend to put evil up on this pedestal in a way that unfairly flatters people like Hitler AL. Tarantino pulls evil men down from their dignified perch and allows you to laugh at them as the actual clowns they were. Yeah, that, that scene when with the hoods. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Um, I've got some trivia for you then. So, uh, during the filming of one of the dinner scenes, Leonardo DiCaprio had to stop the scene because he was having a difficult time using so many racial slurs. Samuel L. Jackson then pulled him aside, telling him, motherfucker, this is just another Tuesday for us. <laughs> it's the greatest, one of the greatest, greatest. It's the one of the best answers to any question ever, as well. <laughs> um, in an interview, Quentin Tarantino stated that originally the Mandingo fight scene and the scene with the dogs were longer and more violent. He said he felt he was going to traumatize the audience, so he cut both scenes down. Yeah, I'm glad he did. The Mandingo fight where he breaks his arm. I mean, no, I saw enough. That's your barrier. He gouges his eyes out minutes later. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean. Yeah, it's just, I saw enough, put it that way. It didn't need to <laughs> um, At one hour, six minutes and 17 seconds, Christoph Waltz's performance in this movie is the longest ever to win an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Me and Keenan were speaking about this last night. For the purpose of this pod, we wouldn't usually say that he's a side character, so are we, are we saying that today or not? I feel he's in... He's in a significant part of the film. I would say him. But if I think you have he's more of a main character than Calvin Candy. No, of course. But if you have to classify it for the purposes of you don't get the best actor. I might be wrong. Actually, you might know this, Byron. You, I, I don't. You, you're not going to see two nominations for best actor. It's unlikely to see two nominations for best actor, best actress. Two in each. Sorry, in yeah. the same film. So for the purposes of classification. Yeah. He probably is a side character. I actually, we said last night, I think he's in far too much of the film. He's t- he's like two integrals to the plot. He's in 
as it just said there, it's the longest screen time to win it or to, to be nominated. But he, he's in far too much of the film for him to be a side character for our purposes when we're looking at sort of potato heads and miss, uh, sorry, ham and so yeah. on for Toy Story. But it, for classification purposes, yeah, it's probably right. Um, so Will Smith, Idris Elba and Chris Tucker were all considered for the role of Django. Quentin Tarantino actually wrote the role with Will Smith in mind, and Smith's agents and manager wanted him to accept it, but Smith ultimately decided to pass, so Tarantino then offered the part to Jamie Foxx to accept it. Um, Will Smith says he decided to pass on the film due to him seeing the character as not being the lead. He told Entertainment Weekly, Django wasn't the lead, so it was like, I need to be the lead. The other character was the lead, and I was saying, Quentin, please, I need to kill the bad guy. I thought it was brilliant, just not for me. Cuba Gooding Jr. later lobbied for the role of Django, but Quentin Tarantino wouldn't even consider it. According to Gooding, it's his biggest disappointment. He couldn't do it. He, he's had a rough ride. If you remember, he, he was originally... Um, I forgot the character's name. He was the the other Iron Man in the original Iron Man. What's the character's name? No, he wasn't. That was Terrence Howard. Pretend, forget I said anything. It was Terrence Howard in the first one, the guy who plays War Machine. Wrote... Uh... Do they look alike? No. Am I thinking the right person when I say Cuba Gooding Jr.? Cuba Gooding Jr. is in Jerry Maguire. He's in Rat Race. He's in a film with Robert De Niro about Carl Brashear, the first black, uh, first black marine diver. All right, they look similar. No. What's the film called about Carl Brashear? Sorry. Please continue. If you you Google... There's people asking if they're related. I mean, I, I don't need to Google it. I can, I know exactly what both of them look like, mate. The Emmys, mis- Emmys mistake Terence Howard for Cuba Gooding Jr. Well, okay, I, I'm not, okay, I've just expanded the headline. <laughs> the Emmys mistook Terence Howard for Cuba Gooding Jr. even though they look nothing alike. Forget I was using that to back up my points. <laughs> we'll just carry on. You've seen the way. I do, um, I do, I do and, think uh, that. With uh, Tajari Panson. Oh, he's no, uh, Terrence Howard's in, in, in Empire. Yeah. He's in Hustle and Flow. I know, I know who he is. Um, he's who I was picturing as uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Just, I don't Cuba know Gooding Jr. Unfortunately, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. has unfortunately become a meme uh, when he got arrested. Yeah. What was he arrested for? I don't know. But the meme is him. Oh, I don't know if he's been arrested or escorted out of a building, but yeah, he's, he's getting dragged out of somewhere. Every time there's a player up for sale, I see it. Such and such being escorted out after Arsenal offer Eddie and Ketia in exchange for Mbappe or something like that, and it's like Eddie being escorted out. He's in a film called Fighting, which is... Uh, where's that title? No. <laughs> I've completely like, I've completely thrown out a whack. Oh, sorry, I was Googling Carl Brashear. <laughs> to go back to the actual podcast <laughs> and stop buying digging down it's, it's Terrence Howard movie. in the film that I'm thinking of my whole world is just a lie <laughs> this film fighting with Channing Tatum it's Terrence Howard I, I don't know don't, what's gone on I don't yeah, think carry, this film is carry on. Film without can Will Smith do Django no Will Smith Will Smith yes Chris Tucker no which is strange because Jamie Foxx is a comedian and I'm I would discount I would discount Chris Tucker on the basis that he's a comedian, but Jamie Foxx was a stand-up comedian. But Jamie Foxx went into more serious acting. Um, Will Smith, yes. 
Chris Tucker, no. Who was the, the third person in the original three? Idris Elba. Nah, not for, not for me, Idris. I love Idris Elba, but not 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 for me. Do you not? Know, I think Ross he's do it. No. Do you not feel that Will Smith would be a bit too light-hearted for this? I think Jamie Foxx is like the perfect balance I'd between. I'd say Will Smith. See, I, I, see, actually, I I um I agree. I sort of agree with you, Jack. Not for Will Smith, but I think Jamie Foxx is the perfect balance. I think Chris Tucker's too light-hearted. Idris Elba's too serious. Jamie yeah. Foxx is just is Jamie. Fox is just right. I think he is a great bit of casting. It is, and like the way he delivers the line, I like the way you dab. Or I just <laughs> fucking love that line. It's brilliant. Mm, yeah. Really well, like this. That's really throwing me off. We'll carry on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Quentin Tarantino revealed at Comic Con that Django and Broomhilda are meant to be the great, great, great grandparents of the character John Shaft. From the Shaft 1971 film. An overt reference to this connection can be found in Washington's character's full name, Broomhilda von Shaft. It's a very uh, random, again, I know yeah. we've spoke about Tar- Tarantino and the black black exploitation cinema that he, he grew up on, but it's a very random thing for him to throw, to, to throw yeah. out there. <laughs> um, Jonah Hill was supposed to play a bigger role in this film. He was originally cast to portray a character named Scotty Harmony, the son of southern slave buyers who had purchased Broomhilda to become his lover. The entire segment was cut. <laughs> uh, this holds the all-time record for the most use of the N-word or some variation in a movie with 116 uses. Tarantino did get a lot of flack <clears throat> for this film. I, I he remember, did. I, I remember seeing a tweet saying that Tarantino wants to do like a, his spin on Star Trek. And someone just quite yeah. tweeted saying, yeah. beat me up, M-word. <laughs> just yeah. crashed right up. He um, did get a lot of, a lot of, for this. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Spike Lee to... led the kind of protestations. He said yeah. that he, he wouldn't give it the time of day. Yeah, you see, you see where it's coming from. But why, though? Because like, that is an accurate representation of the time. Because he said that he was making light of it, and he said they they were being like they're looking like they're having a good time. A lot of these people on the plantations, and then are they? They just kind of have the set pieces that they he puts in to say this is a slave film. Like in between being whipped. well, you're not seeing them kind of working on the plantation for the most part, are you? That you kind of see the the servers, and then every so often you kind of do see someone whether they're being whipped or whether they're being. I mean, that when they go through Mississippi whatever. High Street and they've all got those like neck braces and chains on, I mean that's pretty bad. I guess I, I, I don't want to uh, sound too pandering, but I guess he probably has a better idea of what feels. No, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, while filming on location in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Quentin Tarantino rented out a local movie theater to show samurai and western movies from his own personal collection. He owns a cinema. Yeah, that's where he just shows that full, that Kill Bill cut that nobody mm. else lets see. Love to visit. Just owns a cinema. Just awesome. Uh, Leo DiCaprio has stated that the character of Drexel Spivey from True Romance was a major influence behind his portrayal of Calvin Candy. <laughs> there you go. Nice, nice link. Um, there was talk of splitting the film into two parts like Kill Bill but Tarantino eventually rejected the idea and cut a whole lot of the planned film 
Um, among what was cut out includes an entire backstory for Zoe Bell's character, who you would know as uh, when Django is kind of going for his revenge in the final sequence, you see a character that's got a bandana over her mouth. Yeah. Um, so she was going to have a whole backstory. She doesn't have a jaw underneath that bandana. Jeez. Which seeing that would have been interesting, but yeah, um, so that kind of explains, and then they were going to have a whole kind of bit further down the line there. Um, he says he does plan on releasing extended cut later down the line, restoring some of the scenes that were left on the cutting room floor. So maybe if he falls on hard times, then we'll get the director's cut that he's teased for the last six, seven years. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was cast in a minor role as Jano, a member of the LeQuent Dickey uh, gang that had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts with his directorial debut Don John obviously couldn't miss out on rubbing up against Scarlett Johansson Sasha Baron Cohen was also due to star in this scene and dropped out for scheduling reasons also so you nearly had a lot of a lot of kind of side well not even side a lot of cameos chucked in this film I, I guess to open a whole new wing in the Rex Ryan I guess it's like it's not it's not going to be on the front of people's agenda, is it? If it's going to be like a, a five-minute bit in a film. Is, pushed is Jonah Hill, Rex Ryan in this? Oh, I mean, I'd be happy to give it to him, but it's just because it's um, part of my like, my favourite scene. He kind of has to be, doesn't he? Because like, he has a mask on for most of it, and then he pulls it off, and then he's yeah. only in it for like a few minutes. Um, all right, uh, final bit of trivia. So... In 2015, a sequel crossover comic entitled Django Zorro was released by Dynamite Entertainment, written by Tarantino. You can find this online. Um, so this he wants to make the, the film. Beat me to it. So oh, sorry. It's quite a sequel to a Tarantino film. In 2019, Tarantino had picked Jared Carmichael to co-write a film adaption based on the comic book series. Tarantino and Jamie Foxx have both expressed interest in having Antonio Banderas reprise his role as Zorro from uh, The Mask of Zorro and The Legend of Zorro in film, in addition to Fox coming back as Django. So there we go. Um, I don't know how much you can trust IMDb, because they claim this is in the works, and they also claim Kill Bill 3. So, mm. But it does just say it's at the character stage, which I guess they've just taken the interview of Tarantino, as you said, setting up the third film with the daughter from the first one. I would, I, I, I honestly want that film to be made so much. Yeah. Would you take the Kill Bill sequel or Django? Kill Bill. Jack, what about you? <clears throat> I feel I'll take the Django because I feel like that Kill Bill was pretty well sewn up for me. I feel that Django, I would love for him to like carry on his bounty hunter ways and see what adventures he gets into. I feel like Tarantino's heart would be in the Kill Bill sequel more than a Django yeah, one, and I, I don't. I, I have no reason for saying that. That's just how I feel about it. I think there's what a lot more license for Kill Bill, isn't there? There's a lot more creativity, can be, be a bit more zany. Whereas it feels natural, like set up, like I, I guess as I think you said, Keenan, he did put that scene in there for a reason. So like, if he wants to do it, then, mm-hmm. then it's set up ready for him. Um, what do you reckon the body count is in this film, Keenan? Not a clue, mate. Uh, have a guess for me. 64. Jack, what about you? I'm going for 51. 69 is uh, the body mm-hmm. count in this film. There you go. Um, so, scenes for us to go through. 
I don't know how you feel about this. I know we judge opening scene. Are you classing the kind of uh, Django theme or are you classing the opening scene as uh, the kind of introduction of uh, Dr. Schultz? The introduction. It's more of an opening sequence, I suppose. Gloss over the credits and... Yeah. I'm not saying that like it's... That's cheating, just I was just wasn't sure when I was watching it yesterday. I couldn't remember it being that way around. Like my view of it was had the scene, then the theme, and then we kind of went in. So caught me off guard a bit. Um so to kind of open that scene, we get this rickety carriage with a tooth on the roof coming through slowly. Um you get the doctor that's kind of unnervingly calm after being threatened with being winged, which is a great uh, word that he uses there. And he does set the scene quite well. Um, how do you say his name? Is it Christoph Waltz? I feel like I'm not saying it right. Waltz. How do you say his first name? Christoph Waltz. Okay, I'll, I'll stick with what I'm doing. I feel like I'm doing Cthulhu if I hear. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure how you said his first name, so there we go. So... He he actually had some quarrels at first when he saw the script because he felt like it had been written for him too much. And Tarantino had say it first because he thought, like, this is what he wanted to hear. Like, yeah, it was written for you. like, And that was actually putting him off. And so he was like, no, it's just a base around you kind of thing. He eventually convinced him to do it. And I said similar with uh, other films. When you speak how he does in this film, where it's very patronising, like, they're doing it just to show, like, this is an intelligent guy right from the start when he says, uh, like, parlay with you, and he says English, and he's essentially saying, look, this is a clever guy in this film. It's sometimes hard to do that without them coming across as, like, smarmy and irritating and being quite cocky, but right from the start, I don't know if it's just because of him, they do nail it as being, like, a a charming guy. Yeah, I I get it as well, it's because... I think it's to t- actually to point out that these slavers are thick as shit and kind of they're run of the mill. They're no better than the people they think that they're above. And then you've got this guy that is more intelligent that shows it. I guess it's to try and show the contrast, maybe. Yeah, it probably um, helps. I guess in how likely is that that's the that's the contrast. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly that and. Like you see in the first exchange with the, I can't remember the, the names of the guys, but the original in the first scene. Where yeah. They're like these good for nothing scammers. Yeah. Do you think if if this if it opens then, so they've already been taken care of. Uh, the, the the slaves are kind of just walking between themselves, and Schultz has this conversation with Django without contrast there do you think he comes across as likable or do you think it looks like he's condescending to Django I I think he's come across as likable I think he's coming across he would speak to anyone in that in that vein so he's treating him completely as an equal that's where so many people in that age especially in this film don't yeah that's that's why I wasn't sure I wasn't sure if it's the contrast of seeing the, the slave owners at first and that or yeah. if, he, if he just does have that, he, he just has that kind of fills well, the screen with his presence, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's, he's exactly that. And he talks to everyone in the film in the same manner, no matter who they are, 
no matter what they are, if they're a sheriff, a marshal, a slaver, like, or like, or a slave. And I think that is part of his character that he's obviously come from Europe, doesn't really fully understand that, all that almost that blissful ignorance of not understanding the horrors of slavery. But he kind of does understand it to a degree, but he just sees everyone as equal. If you didn't know the Tarantino film, you then have, uh, he says, are you pointing that gun at me with malice or is it just to prove your point? He says, last chance, fancy pat. Boom, shoots him off his horse, shoots the other guy, horse falls on top of him and you're like, okay, now we're in business. This is a Tarantino (laughs) film. This is what I've come in for. I'm in. Did, did, Did both of you watch this at the cinema? No. I can't remember. I know with this film, and I say about it before, I can't even really explain it. There's certain films that you see and you just get that feeling when you're in the cinema, like this is something special. And the the film I always go back to. um, I don't don't think I was 18. I don't think I was 18 when this came out. Suddenly enough. Sorry. So it was lawless is what I go back to. I watched it at the cinema and I was like, this is something, this is something special. And the feeling when I came out and this Within about 20 minutes of the film, I was like, this is like every scene, your eyes are slightly wider than it normally would be watching a film. Like you want to take everything in because it is just something spectacular. You know you're in for like an event of a film rather than just like, it kind of does take a bit of something out of it with the cinema card, doesn't it? Like it's not such a commitment to go and see the film. And so when you do get one, it's like this is this is why I come this is why I come and see something on the big screen. Why you pay the big bucks for those yeah. popcorns? Um, so the next scene, well, actually, in that in that scene, still, you've got Django kind of reveals who he is, um, kind of a lot quieter, I guess, because he's shivering. They do the scene where I, I didn't know if it took away. Um, they do the scene to show kind of him as being heroic when he chucks the coat off his the, the, the kind of uh, thing off his back to go and get the coat for himself and then I don't know, the, the fact that the other slaves did it, I thought that was at first showing that he was kind of like, this is this is your man well no, it's, then they all do it it's um, it's to show his scars isn't it? And that's yeah, it, yeah it, it pans back to Schultz and he's kind of shocked it's effect. just the way he throws it, like the the kind of dramatic way of doing it. With what I thought at first, you're showing like this is your guy. Yeah. But then the others do it. Them being, uh, them marching into town. So everyone kind of stepping out of the saloons, kind of. Uh, there's a lot we can't say in this film, but they're shocked to see he's on a horse, as he points out. That's why everyone's kind of looking. And I think that this could be my favourite scene of the film. You wind to. The barman runs out. He says, go and get the sheriff or whichever one it is. He pours his own pints. You see the confusion of Django where he, he has the pint for the first time and he's kind of has a moment to question whether he likes it or not. And then he does carry on chugging it down. Mm. He explains what he does. And then you have the kind of showdown in the street of shoots the one guy, go and get the other. And then I think we see a couple of times where he's kind of one step ahead, isn't he? Where he pulls out his piece of paper, I can do this, and then the frustration of uh, the white man as it is the most way through this film. I am a big fan of that scene. Yeah, I love it. It's a great shot. 
um, which I put up on uh, the Spitball Instagram this week. Um, and it looks like it's been taken, like not from the film, but it's been taken by someone that's on the set of the smoke coming out of the gun as he's uh, shooting the sheriff there for the first time. And it's, it's really great seeing it. And just the way they've done it, just all the faces, it's almost like when they they pan around uh, and show the crowd on like Sky Sports or something and you've just got everyone kind of stacked in like the big game and you've got the people on the roof with the guns pointing down. You, you've got the kind of women and children watching alongside and then you've got the show in the, in the middle there that everyone's come to see. And the woman fainting when the first person gets shot is a great touch as well. Yeah. Um, the next big scene, Killing the Bristles. Uh, we get Django come out in his iconic blue suit. Um, I do have to, there's some people that genuinely believe that this costume was based on Tarantino loving Austin Powers. <laughs> I kid you, there are people that think this is truly why he's dressed as this is. Now, the far more likely reason is there's a painting that's referenced later in the film of someone that's wearing this exact suit. But I do like the idea of Tarantino dressing Django up like Austin Powers to go on his <laughs> first uh, killing spree. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's he's got to seriously like Austin Powers for that to be the reason. Yeah. Each time gradually they're showing, aren't they, that the bond between Django and Schultz is building. Uh, Schultz defends him to uh, Big Daddy, which uh, I, mean, I wouldn't want to be a slave owner, but I would quite like people to call me Big Daddy. So that's why I have on, on 2K when I play it and the commentator says Big Daddy. Um, <laughs> he defends him, doesn't he? He says that Django is a free man, sends him on his way. You still see that they won't take him seriously, but we see Django, the scene that everyone remembers, as you said, Jack. I like the way you die, boy, as he uh, works his way through. Do you think that's yeah. the most rewatchable scene? Like, if you're going to go and watch one scene from Django, is that the one? Yeah, I guess it's like coming, not coming of age, but like, he's getting his own back now. This this is it. And that little backstory as well, obviously, him having previous with... The- yeah, they have the flashback, don't they, of uh, Broomhilda being whipped and Django kind of then makes his way through the brothers. Yeah. What do you think, Keenan, about the whole scene in general? Yeah, it's actually strange. It's not not one I really think about, mate. Um, yeah, so they didn't really enter my top my top three or four as I was thinking about my my favourite scenes. Um, put in there is like, I guess, and putting words in there. Every slave, I imagine has had the fantasy of being able to get that whip and exact revenge on the person that's been doing it to them. And so this is what we see is supposed to be the uprising and he gets to do that himself. And again, show just how feeble these people are when someone actually does stand up to them. I presume so. Um, I, I would presume so, but it also just shows the change or it's a useful scene because it allows Django to move into being um, yeah it allows Django to move into becoming a bounty hunter basically Um, that little cap gun that him and Schultz have the whole way through is is very nifty there's Um, always something good about a concealed gun (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
from there, so we then have the uh, KKK scene, which Tarantino, I don't know if he was expecting smoke, he insists it's not a scene about the KKK, he says. It's uh, it's about a separate uh, a racist group, but we have that scene, which I guess everyone else references that with Jonah Hill. You said, Keenan, that's your favourite scene in the film, if you want to take us through your thoughts on it. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have ref- started by calling it the KKK scene, but um, what? And, th- and then shouting, "You, yeah, it's your favourite favourite scene in the film." Got a great look. Well, it's, it's seeing them get blown up. So, oh, um, strangely, or not strangely, actually, I suppose it's the the rate the the racism in it is not more overt because that's one of the criticisms of of this film is that it's a, it's full of overt racism, but it, it becomes a visual thing, um, ra- rather than just purely the, the language used uh watch them get blown up is great uh when they realize it's about to happen um schultz teaching uh schultz teaching django how to shoot also awesome um but the whole chat about don't ask me and mine for nothing um are we wearing the hoods are we not wearing the hoods uh, it, it is it is very very funny as as an actor in this position so Jonah Hill, he's no slouch at this point. Like Jonah Hill, he is Jonah Hill at this point. He's not just uh, Seth from Superbad. I'm trying to think of the right way to work. Do you think there's there's some level of it makes it easier when you're kind of pitched that you're going to be saying these words, you're going to be doing this in a Tarantino film? Do you think it feels you you've got a certain blanket there rather than it being? Well, it's from what you said, what else. you said though, that wasn't what he quite out, quite wasn't quite what he signed up for, was it? No, but he still he still does the scene like there's there's no, stories no, no, of no, um, Joe, this Joe is Hale the end, the like Emma Watson's like this is too much for me, I'm out of here. That was yeah. trying to take him in a gimp suit, um, but trying to take him genu- like, genuinely was buzzing to do it. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 like he he hasn't turned away from doing it, and I don't know if because it's a Tarantino film. There's a certain level of heat taken off you because, I mean, this is a Tarantino film, as we've said, this is what is expected of him. Maybe. I mean, I don't, I just, again, they, but they talk about, on, on the other hand, they talk about Leo having his big, his problem with it. I mean, just, if he just, has I trouble don't doing it there, he's probably not going to do it for another director, I guess. Yeah, I, like I, said, I don't know how much it comes down to the individual or how much it comes down to, yeah. like, as, as, Samuel L. Jackson so eloquently put it, this motherfucker, this is another Tuesday for us. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, your jo- it's your job. I, I suppose it comes down to your own reservations on things as an, an individual more than yeah. uh, more than anything else. It's whether you think you you can do it or if you if you can't. Yeah. So yeah, about an hour into the film, we meet Kelvin Candy. I mean, we all know DiCaprio's in the film going in. He's in the trailers. He's on the poster. We kind of get sold that we're going to see him. It's building up even without it being part of the film that we're waiting to see Leo. Um, you see him from behind, you've got the Mandingo fight going on. And then Leo turns around and you've got this kind of fast zoom into him, almost like they're slinging him into the frame, like that clip of Carragher scoring the volley and then spinning <laughs> around on his heels as it zooms in on him. <laughs> as our first kind of introduction to him, with a big grin on his face, and then it's like, this is just taking it up another level again. Like you're already in the film and then you've got him doing this character and he's all in like he always is. And then you're really cooking and you've got like a whole another tier to go up to for the film. 
that's how exactly how it feels, isn't it? Like just constant levels up. Yeah. It's like right, if you didn't enjoy this, now try this on the size. What What do you think of Leo? Because usually he's in a role where he's a likable guy. Like I, I can't think of any film he's really in when the purpose is there for is for you to dislike him. And even as the despicable bloke he is in this, there is still a charm to him, isn't there? And the way he plays that, I guess, is because it's just a business for these people. But he does do it very well. What do you think? Was the was the Mandinga fight too much for you, Keenan? Uh, I'm not setting no. you up there because it, it doesn't make me squirm particularly. See, <laughs> so no, I just think it's quite, it's quite an interesting. It's quite an interesting scene. Um, it's hor- not, it is horrible, but actually the way it's yeah. shot is it's pretty interesting. What they show, what they don't want to show. Um, it, 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 it gives it gives it gives rise to as much as as much as anything else. As not you go through slavery, but where you see certain parts of slavery and certain that you don't. <laughs> for I don't say historical accuracy, but for historical purposes and the presence of the film, it does show that essentially to the people concerned, these the slaves were nothing more than a commodity. Like what? How 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 little? Do you have to think of someone or a group of people to uh, to not only allow them to do that to each other without getting involved, but to actively encourage it and for it to be a sport? It's all it's for. It's for. There are films. There are things that I I will say for the record. I do. I think this film's fantastic as they watch. Yeah. But there are there are things it gets wrong. And Tarantino things, makes things that... a big point with this, where he say he kind of challenges people and he says. For all the people that say the kind of exploitation and things like this in there, he says he, he doesn't make light of any situation that involves a slave at all. He says, if anything, that's why he does it as unflinching as he does do it, because he wants to show like this is the stuff that was happening. There's no way to kind of beat around the bush. I'm not going to make a nice way of two slaves fighting to the death. I'm not going to make a nice way of this slave having to work away and I know there's criticism of kind of him not having like I guess plantations full of people slaving away showing how horrible it was but in terms of the violence he he doesn't do that in his usual way like he's not blowing their heads off he's not doing this and that he's uh, very much no I suppose no in terms of the slave sorry go on yeah that, that's his point he says yeah. when you look at the people that, that the stuff happens to like that it's never the sl- he's never making light of that happening to slaves or anything like that, and he he's very clear about that. Yeah, um, I mean there are. The problem is that there's no way that, that certain parts of this, and maybe it's the wrong word, but I, I hope that you sort of understand what I mean. There are. There's no way you're not going to be accused of glorifying the situation. No, but he's just whether that's the same he's for not doing it nicely. No, no, not show, he's not pretending that they're having fisticuffs and then the ones getting knocked out and they're going home after. He says if he's going to be violent, then he's showing, like, this happened. Like, he's saying, this is how it is. No, no, I I, I, I get that. And like I say, for, for as much as I do like this film, there are things that you get, there are things that you're not sure on. But like you say, the Mandingo scene, it is actually shot incredibly well. Um, I think, sorry, I keep cutting you off. I keep not meaning. I think I'm, I'm a second behind with uh, it comes through. So carry on. I didn't mean to. No, no, you're right. No, cool. don't want to be rude. I was just—I think the most telling part of the scene is 
how they show um, Calvin Candy as if he thinks he's being like a genuinely like doing him a favour where he gives him a beer after he's just had to kill like someone who's done nothing to him other than be put in the same situation and he gives him a bed to sleep in for the night, a big, uh, a tall beer and a woman to come up and uh, shine him, I think is is what he says in this uh, scene. And he genuinely thinks that he's being a really generous guy for allowing him this treat after what he's just put him through. I guess that's the most telling thing, even more so than watching him gouge a man's eyes out. Well, yeah, but again, it's to, it's, it, it, it is a case of commodities. So any act of, I don't want to say humanity, so it's the wrong word, but for, again, for the sake of this, any small act of treating someone like any part of them as a person, as opposed to this is my possession, I own it, you must do as I say. In an age where, if you want to say it was realistic, obviously I, I don't know from either a slave's perspective or just a historical perspective. It's not something I know a phenomenal deal about. Um, but the, the probably that he, that is probably would have been his genuine intention would be like look look at me. If he's doing it, yeah. also doing it in front of company is the other interesting point to note yeah. in that in that particular scene as it's done. Um, but there's just, the there's the um black woman in the scene isn't there where he tells her to stay there and as if like he's got some like prestige there that he's being like no you stay there kind of he genuinely thinks he's helping all these people out yeah and the the exchange that they have when he, they first kind of discuss uh him buying one of the fighters that we get the uh gentleman you have my curiosity now you have my attention this scene there's so much in there that you also want to go out of the scene remembering as much as anything. You've just seen two men fight to the death and that one line from Leo just steals the thunder of everything else that's gone on and that's what you that's what you remember. Mm. The charm of it. And then we get the march to uh, the plantation and I messaged you about this at the time. Uh, Django, they, they show him where he's kind of playing the character half being himself where He's standing up against Candy's other guys. You've got the slight whistle that kind of fades in from the Rick Ross track, uh, 100 Dead Coffins, I think it's called. 100 Black Coffins, something like that. But you've got the whistles coming in and the uh, kind of chorus of it. And then as they start walking, it, it kicks in. And it's so good because the music in this film is picked almost to perfection. You, you've got Rick Ross, you've got to James Brown, you've got a bit of everything in there, but everything seems to fit perfectly. Like I would never, and it's why I'm not in that situation, I would never have put a Rick Ross track over that scene. Yet it works so well. Tarantino and music, mate. Yeah. A match made in heaven. He just knows his shit, doesn't he? Yes, mm-hmm. so good. Um, we, we then go into... The scene that we've referenced there um, and Tarantino's referenced is it could have been worse. The, the, the quitting fighter, the fighter doesn't want to fight anymore, which he's ultimately fed to the dogs. And you see that game of chicken between Django and Candy, which goes on for the next hour of the film. And this is right at the start of it, where you see that Candy before kind of has a couple of words exchanged with Django, but this is where you kind of see He's saying, like, let the games commence. 
and they show and I guess they're showing Schultz as just reiterating like he's an ally here, like he's willing to chuck cash aside just to save this man's life. And Django greater good and keeping his character up is he, he's not prepared to go down that line. No. Um but that is the strange. hardest to watch scene in, in the entire film. Uh yeah. I mean the the, the bloke the, the guy also gets eaten by dogs. Life. Yeah. Yeah. It, the the eating, strangely the, the eaten by dogs thing is probably less harrowing than someone begging for their life, which is the same strange thing to say. Well it's them cheering it on as well, isn't it? And like yeah. everything about it. But it is a case of it it, it is like someone who's they've done like, I don't know what someone would have to do for me to want to feed them to a dog, I'll be honest, but um, he's done nothing, but he's broken physically and mentally because of a situation that is in no way of their own fault or, or making, or he's just asking for, basically, give me, like, give me a fucking break. And See, obviously, that's how it turns out. Podcast. If I'd had a couple of dogs and Jack in my company, I can't say if I'd have let go of the leash. <laughs> I may well have done it. Mm. Django reunited with Broomhilda is one of the most viewed scenes when you kind of do a search on YouTube. Really? Yeah, so this is the one I think you've got the catchphrases that they puts in the little troublemaker. Her falling in slow motion was in the trailer, I believe, where the water pours out and then she falls. Um, it's where you get, you start to get the sense like they could pull this off. Obviously, they've got a long way to go. You've just been, you've already been introduced to Samuel L. Jackson's character, who, as uh, Django says earlier in the film, doesn't he, where he says, uh, like, a black slave driver is like the, the lowest of the low, uh, even, even lower than a house, uh, as he calls it. And that's what Samuel L. Jackson is in this film. And uh, I know you had him down as one of the best side characters. I mean, he, he even. Irritates me in this film, so he does his job very well. As a performance, I think it's fucking stellar. Yeah, yeah he does. It's like even the way he kind of lurches, everything like he's kind of groveling, isn't he? That scene at the dinner table where he just repeats like ad libs, kind of every three words that he says, just to kind of reiterate it and laugh along. It's, it's he quite, does the role very well. It's yeah, it's, it's a bit ranged there. Samuel L. Jackson plays Samuel L. Jackson in a lot of films, and I know that it, this is still very on brand, but it's still an amazing performance, something outside of the box of what I wouldn't usually expect from a normal Samuel L. Jackson performance. Do you think no, he needs a certain level of respect for the director, not to say he hasn't worked with some great directors, but it's almost like you, you, you look at some footballers, don't you, with... with um, like Ronaldo and they say like you need a certain level of manager in there that can command his respect enough if you want him to be able to play in a system rather than just be Ronaldo mm. and so on um, and I guess I think this is probably the, the time where he, he does he's not he's, he's not a leading man though is he he's probably catches him right at the right time where he, he's happy to come in and do a job like, like, it's, it's people strange. are prepared it, to break it's... their back for Tarantino as well. Like, yeah, uh, people are also willing like to break their back. For, isn't it? Like, yeah, people are willing to break their back for Samuel L. to work with or to have Samuel L. Jackson work with yeah. them on a film. But to come in and do do the role, 
like he, I don't think he like if you go through and his IMDb sort of, sort of changes over a period yeah. of time as it, it is, is it does it, it, coincide as he gets older and as he reaches a certain age, whether age is the motivate main motivating factor, the fact that he's made his money and has been paid and. Yeah. He doesn't. It, you know, he's, he's got he's, he's got enough in the bank that it's a case of, well, do I need to go and? And he's also got the fact that whenever Samuel L. Jackson decides to stop stop acting, yeah, he will be remembered as Samuel L. Jackson by generations of people as one of the as, as an absolute phenomenal screen actor. You can't as one of the best actual character actors yeah. of the last so however many years. So I think he it probably catches him right at the right time. More so than than anything else. I'm sure you've all heard the story before of Leo actually does slice his hand open in the scene where he's kind of mm. uh, parading the skull around, and this is why they include it in in the cuts because everyone apparently on set stood and applauded afterwards and said quite how marvelous Leo is and all of this. But that scene is very good, isn't it? It's in there to show how ridiculous. Um, Kind of um, a racist Leo is by the fact that he does believe that there's these differences that he can pick in um, with the skull and things like that, and the rage because a guy that believes himself to be this clever can't believe that he's been caught out so quickly. It's actually over. It's does it? There's no it is in the in the con that they run. Is there any real great convincer? Django well, allowing. Sorry. He doesn't. He's not the type of guy. Is he in the character? He's not going to let it bubble. Like he, he doesn't have. We say I uh, said about him kind of toying with Django, kind of the game of chicken. But as soon as he has any kind of actual rage, it doesn't look like he can let it simmer. Like he just has to let it just go straight out. And this is what happens. Yeah. So you yeah. see everyone just doing what he says. The scene is great. Like he does. He does own own the scene. Like he has it to perfection. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a happy accident. I don't, I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I don't know if the blood essentially is what kind of. I think the story around the scene is is, is now as important is now sorry as important as the scene itself. I should say the the blood smear on Kerry Washington's face, they do reshoot that, so he hasn't actually, in the spur of the moment, just smeared his blood all over her face. They redo it with some fake blood in his hands, so oh. if anyone was worried about that. No, I read, I read that differently many uh, years they, ago. Yeah, the, that, that, that bit, it's not real blood that he, he wipes on her face. Oh, I actually remember reading, as I say, a long time ago, that but that is exactly what it was. It was done as like a one take thing after he cut his hand, and he went through the scene as he was supposed no, to. They ask, um, they, they ask her permission to see if she's all right with having the blood smeared on her face. Yeah. You just ruined it. Yeah. Yeah, and for sorry, I was just take Kerry Kerry Washington. I'm sure. She's no, no. Um, but yeah, sorry, that's actually quite slightly disappointing. The story that I heard was is is far more interesting. So. We then go, kind of, they have the exchange. They, he thinks he's got the best of him. And Schultz can't, he can't take losing. He can't take that this guy feels, not even losing himself. It's ultimately, he's got what he wanted. But he can't take Candy feeling like he's won. He shoots him and we get, 
our Tarantino style carnage from there onwards. Do you think that should have been the end of the film? Do you think that shootout should have been where things come to an end? No. Every time I watch it, I, I feel like I don't need him to be caught, go away, come back, and then finish the job. Like if you could have encapsulated it all in that scene there, I think it would have been just as good. I, no, I disagree. I like well, for that for that sake. You don't get the Flint Dicky um, scene either. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He smooth talks his way out of it. Shows the clever guy that he is. He's out. It's it's basically he's now on his own. He doesn't have Schultz as like the lead man. He's honed his skills. Yeah, that's fair. And he can now take on and show that he's much smarter than all these white slavers. Essentially, outsmart them. Go back. Have the chaos with in the hut with the hillbillies. So it's a bit of revenge there. And then yeah. the. Sh- I, you can't rob me of that showdown of Django in some of the. No, no, I, I I agree that that needs to happen. My my thing is I didn't know if you needed the bit in the middle because it seems like you kind of you reached like a climax and then you let it go back down before you try and bring it back up. And I always wondered if you if you could have kind of incorporated just a longer kind of scene in the house, like you still have Samuel L. Jackson as being like the last man standing kind of thing, but without the going back and forth but i know it's because as we saw they did have other storylines in there which is why i think it makes more sense but it's a very quick process like that ends he goes away and then he's back like he never left kind of thing yeah i still though i still don't think you get to see the best of django of, no, like, he hasn't really he faced any adversity in, on in his the start own. of the film until that dynamic. What do you think, Keenan? Doesn't face any adversity in the start of the film. I mean, he's in a slave. I know, mate. I said from fr- since the start of the film. Oh, sorry. My apologies. Um, like everyone he wants to kill, he kills at, uh, at that stage, like up until the dinner party where he thinks he may not be able to get his wife. Uh, I think it's the the end with the sort of with the mining companies. Um, part of me, well, the first time I watched it, uh, and the first couple of times I watched it, I don't consider it as much now, but. I always just assumed it was the way that they would set a sequel. It was just just a little. It was all it was for. Was, could you do it with those two walking off into the long grass? Probably. But it, a, it gives a chance for Tarantino to throw a cameo in. Um, yeah. And then bit B, it's, it gives a chance to set up a sequel. Yeah. You move lo- locale, etc. Um, but the shootout itself, I, like, I, I actually would. Yeah, if they walk away at the end of it and you sort of fade to black, I. I, I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't think any less of the film, for, for, to be honest. Um, before we get on to the, the categories, um, so Will Smith's issue was he felt that Django should be the guy to kill Kelvin Candy. What do you think about that? No, I, I really like the death scene. So you like that Schultz does it? Yeah. He gets, he, 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 it makes it, it gives him, it makes him a. It solidifies his thing as a hero. Joe, he's trying as he's trying yeah. to sign it, and then it goes goes wrong, and is his say act of defiance as, as an act of defiance. It's a, it's basically just a fuck you, and it? it it's yeah. he knows where it's going. But if I'm going, you're coming with me. Uh, yeah. He gives him a bit of shit talk, and you're basically you're just a fucking awful awful human being. I guess he's kind of got through the end of his tether as well. Like yeah, 
he's <laughs> kind of experienced all this throughout the film and he's just got to the point where you guys are just all cunts. He does get to outsmart him one last time as well, doesn't he, where he mentions about the three musketeers and uh, Alexander Dumas. Yeah. Um, something I did want to mention, um, so I mentioned going to see this at the cinema and something that I, I, I'm always really passionate about is just what a year 2012 was in film. Um, nowadays, I'm almost happy with the cinema card. Now it's a bit different at the moment. If you have, if I have two films a month that I want to see, I kind of, I call that as being, that's that's an okay month. Like I'm happy with that. I've got the two films. 2012, what the end product was can be a bit different here. So I'm not saying that every single one of these is a certified classic, but just in terms of the excitement of getting built up, just to run you through from start to finish, some of the films we had, I mean, The Grey, we start with Keenan. I don't know if Fucking before, if beforehand you thought that was going to be the case because obviously you didn't go and watch it. But The Grey Man on Alleged Chronicle, we start the year with um, the famous trilogy that me and Sean watched back to back in the cinema as a marathon, something that's yet to be beaten to this day, legendary stasis. Uh, Woman in Black, Safe House, This Means War, Project X, 21 Jump Street, Hunger Games, the Raid, Goon, American Reunion, Cabin in the Woods, Avengers, Fury, Men in Black 3, Prometheus, That's My Boy, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, <laughs> Ted, Savages, The Amazing Spider-Man, Dark Knight Rises, The Watcher, Vince Vaughn, Classic, Born Legacy, Less Said About That, The Better, Lawless, Dread, End of Watch, Looper, Taken 2, Sinister, Skyfall, Wreck-It Ralph, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, The Hobbit, Zero Dark Thirty, Jack Reacher, This Is Forty, Contraband, Life of Pi, huge year. If you go back and look, because there's I haven't even included some of them. It was insane to have that. Me and Sean must have spent like the entire summer holidays in the cinema. It's just insane to have all that in a year when you compare years since. Like years since, some of them have been hard to do a top ten at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's one of the reasons why. I- stop going to the cinema because it's kind of like i'll just watch it at home because it's not worth my time that there's been so many bad some of these that 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 feeling that i said about with the cinema i had that with project x had that with the raid i had that with lawless i had that with dread i know uh, the rest of your thoughts on that but dark night rises there's so many there that aren't just good films but like are great films i had it with interstellar i know how long it but was, was that 2012 as well? I'm not That's sure. That's 2014, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, it's 2014. That in the yeah, they're like some of the best space films, and that feeling that you're talking about of getting strapped in and thinking, yeah, this is this is me. We've still got Interstellar to get to. Um, we we we've got a uh, Harry Potter for you next week. Um. So actually, I don't think you like the films, but <laughs> we've got Harry Potter next week. I like the first film. Okay, Harry Potter next week, but so we'll get to that. Um, do you want to go on to the categories? Yeah. yeah. Um, Keenan, I'll go to you first. What do you think about the rewatchability of Django? Two hours, 38 minutes long. I've, in, in, this particular category, in this particular bracket, it might be the film I've seen the most. Oh, interesting. I'm not saying it's not rewatchable. Just I did. I wouldn't have had that. What would I think is the one you've seen the most here? I can't. I can't, I can't say that for definite. But I was having no. this conversation as I was finishing work today because I would have said Skyfall. 
No, I've seen Django more than I've seen Skyfall. Interesting. That would have been, that would have been my guess. Um, Jack, what do you think rewatchability wise? Yeah, it's Django for me. It's quite an easy watch, isn't it? Considering the amount of blood, guts, explosions. If you like Tarantino, you'll love this film, mate. It's as simple as that. It, what, like, what? it is an easy watch, but if you like Tarantino, you'll love this film. It's it's literally that simple. Keenan, what's your top three Tarantino in order? Okay. <laughs> shoot on the podcast then, then noises. Sorry, I don't. I I I, I can never. I, I don't know. Um, All right, what's your top three as of today? Because I understand. Oh, in this particular in this particular moment. Yeah. Reservoir Dogs, Django, Kill Bill. In that order? No, no. Reservoir Dogs is, is Reservoir Dogs. Ninety nine times out of hundred is going to be number one. It's one of my favourite films ever. What um, about you, Jack? Mine's Inglourious Bastards, Reservoir Dogs, Django. In no particular. I've actually I've not seen a couple of these Tarantino ones that you two would probably slap <clears> me for not having seen. Jackie You've Brown. Never seen Jackie Brown, have you? I've yeah. never seen Jackie Brown. It's I've the one never everyone seen, forgets. I've never seen Pulp Fiction. You've never seen Pulp Fiction? No, no, I haven't. Um, well, I've not me. seen... Actually, I'm uh, replacing Inglourious Bastards with Pulp Fiction. I've not seen Inglourious Bastards. It's a good film. How have you not seen these movies? You all love them. I've I, not watched seen... I watched Inglourious Bastards Monday, actually, strangely. I've not seen Death Proof. I've not uh, seen... Death Proof's fun. Death Proof um, don't feel bad about not having seen. So the ones I've seen are I've seen Reservoir Dogs, seen Kill Bill 1 and 2, Sin Sin City. I've seen Django, I've seen The Hateful Eight, I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've never seen that, actually, strangely. The ones I've kind of... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, Joe, I've never actually sat down and watched it. It's not worth it, mate. I don't know if I've taken credibility away from the pod for not having seen some of these, but they're ones like we've said before, I've built them up so much that I I feel like I need to watch them properly. I I actually refuse to do any more pods until you've watched Pulp Fiction. Hey, I'm grafting too much. I've got two Bastards. films a week to watch. And Inglorious Bastards, for that matter. Inglorious Bastards, you're Inglorious Bastards, you'll really like. But you, you can't not love that film. No, you'll, I'm sure you'll, I will like it. Just... You'll actually really like it. Um, and that's not even like a joke because of the no, subject matter, sure etc. But I do think you'd really like it. Maybe I'll Brad watch one great, tonight. Maybe I'll Brad... watch one tonight. Uh, <laughs> do Pulp Fiction tonight because it's about forty-five minutes. It's quite. It's a lot shorter. I'm sure it is. Yeah, and um, you get Christoph Waltz again. Another, another dose of Christoph in Inglourious Bastards. Pulp, yeah. Pulp Fiction is, uh, is is longer than Inglourious Bastards. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, one minute. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm actually shocked. Genuinely, in my, in my head, yeah. as I think about it, it seems Two hours 34 to two hours 33. You got, oh. you got Samuel, Bruce Willis, and... Um, my guy, Tim Roth. Tim Roth. My mine's gone blank. Fuck me. John Travolta, mate. Uh, John Travolta. We'll, yeah. we'll 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 get back. We'll uh, we'll do that another day. Some of these, I'm sure we will do. Uh, I missed it. I missed the ta- I missed the tangents. Very much. Yeah, no. The Kai uh, on tonight. I mean, from... no, I think we do. We have quite a lot of tangents. Nah, it's normally more. But please continue. We spoke about toys and all sorts. In the context of Toy Story, mate. I know, but two hours seven minutes. We've we've been uh, we've been rolling for. We've had we've had tangents. Um, 
What do you think is the best scene in Django, Keenan? Ah, it's the back scene. What about you, Jack? I'm giving it to... Or the shootout at Candy's house. Sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to give it to the pub scene at the start. Yeah, it could well be that. That, That's that's my favourite. And closely, close second, like best moment, I think, is uh, I like the way you die, boy, but I like the whole scene. Yeah. Uh, I I count six shots... Oh, I count I count two guns. It's one of my favorites. Also, well, I won't give the full quotes, quote, yeah. but you said uh, you've seen people die in all manner of ways. But I know she never said anything about kneecapping. Yeah, the whole the little exchange between uh, uh, Schultz and Django, uh, positive. Um, I don't know what positive means. And going from there, you sure I sell this brittle and positive? He's dead. <laughs> Um, that, are you brooding about me getting the best of you I'm thinking about that poor devil you fed to the dogs today the, the so on the um, like, again can't say it but Samuel L. Jackson as soon as he sees Django when he's like, what's that on that neck I just can't get yeah there's a a lot of quotes a lot of quotes you have to it was like a, doing, doing this it reminds me of um, reminds me a bit when we did the training day pod yeah, <laughs> you gotta gotta cut it down. Um, so, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, so it's like so so we should obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it's strange to talk about certain moments. So Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson, unfortunately, almost everything he says in this film Ask, falls into uh, this category. Yeah. Asking him to spell his name, Django the Deer Silent, uh, he the tongue devil you. Last chance, fancy pants. <laughs> As you say, the one people remember is, or one of the one of the main ones people remember is probably, uh, you have my curiosity now. You have my attention. Yeah, and there's there's one that people take issue with when when you talk about Schultz, and this is the research I go to, uh, seeing all sorts of threads of people talking about it, and they kind of try and take away from Schultz being like one of the more heroic people in the film because of the one quote where he says on one hand I despise slavery on the other hand I need your help if you're not in a position to refuse all the better so for the time being I'm going to make this slavery malarkey work to my benefit yeah. he then doesn't kind of do that much does he like he I can't see like... why someone would get dragged for it I mean again sign of the times isn't it it's one of those well, they're, they're just kind of saying that he's not the hero he's He's forcing Django along, but then he does kind of go on Django's mission with him afterwards. Yeah. So. It's, it's the bond that they form, isn't it? Mm. I mean, later in the film, you have to say he does his utmost to give yeah, Django a, a sure. better life or to give Broomhilda a, a better life. Um, yeah. It gives him a... Don't say it is a, 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 it gives him a... It gives him a skill. I don't know if it's like giving him a trade or something, but it, it, you know, he does yeah. get it's something a out of film it. If- Django becomes a he, he, he suddenly he's a sparkle. Yeah, it's probably a different <laughs> yeah. film, but like, do you know what I mean? It, it gives it gives them the opportunity to do yeah. something something more between them. Is down the van at Bill Bay's with a coffee in the morning on Monday. <laughs> Would any of you argue that Django isn't the MVP? No, no, he is. And Keenan, who do you think is the best side character? Uh, Samuel L. Jackson. They what just, about? Like, Sorry, I was gonna say everything. Like I said, everything he says falls into most quotable. He is also for as much as Leo takes the plaudits. Samuel L. Jackson just plays one 
evil motherfucker in this film. <laughs> like he is genuinely like the the scowl on his face and stuff in certain scenes. He is actually just evil. What do you think, Jack? Who's the best side character? We're not giving it shots in these two. I think he's in too much. I don't know what your thoughts are on Candy, but no, I think Leo plays him so well. He's just such a despicable bloke that it's hard to give him an award. You know what I mean? Is he a side character? Are we saying or not? Yeah, he would be for me. Oh, well, he'd he'd be my pick then for side character. Um, well, if we let's get into the judging because uh, then we'll just finish with our points considered. Keelan's just dropped off the call, so he's objecting to judging. There he is, he's back. Thought you were objecting to judging, Keenan. No, no, sorry. I sorry. don't know what um, I just did. I do have uh, Sean's picks. He has watched both films this week. So uh, I've got his picks. So um, do you want Sean's picks first or last each time? Uh, uh, first. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sean, Sean prefers Django. Uh, what about you, Keenan? Uh, yes, so do I. Jack? Yeah, same. Yeah, I agree. Um, Sean thinks Toy Story is more rewatchable. What do you say, Keenan? Uh, Django. Jack? Again, for the reasons that I'm not a kid, I'm more likely to watch Django again. Um, I think Toy Story is more rewatchable, so uh, tie game there. Um, Sean thinks that the best moment slash scene is in Django. What do you think, Keenan? Yes, so do I. Jack? I'm giving it to Toy Story, actually, for this, for the airport scene. Airport scene. I actually um, think Toy Story as well, for the scene in the toy barn. That's the scene I had the biggest smile on my face for, for uh, across the two films. So uh, split down the middle there as well. Um, Keenan, what do you think is the best quote? Sean's is uh, Django, sorry. Yes, so I will. Would you? I, I, I could. I can't give you a single example, but I can give you ten. I would pick from Django as opposed to Toy Story. Uh, Jack, I'm so close to giving it to. Here comes Mr. Angry Eyes, but <laughs> I am giving it to Django. Yeah, I agree. Um, Keenan, uh, who is your MVP? Sean's is Django. Uh, so is mine. Jack. Yeah, same. Same. Um, best side character Sean has gone with Toy Story what do you say Keenan Samuel Jack I'm going with Ham yeah I'm, I'm going with um, Ham as well it really uh, I'm as, about as down the middle as you can be between Ham and Mr Potato Head so <laughs> either, either one for me um Difficulty of adventure. Uh, Sean has gone for Toy Story. What do you say, Keenan? <laughs> Toy Story. Jack? I'm going Django. Oh, I'm going Toy Story. I mean, I feel that they've got more to overcome in the fact that That's they are about eight inches tall, most of them. <laughs> um, I mean, that the way they uh, manoeuvre around the plane, I think, is tougher than anything that Django pulls off. At that point. In terms of scale, the 19 blocks probably seems like going across halfway across America <laughs> yeah, as well, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, Sean thinks Toy Story has more visual appeal. What do you say, Keenan? Yeah, I agree. 
I agree also. What do you think, Jack? I would have gone Django. I just like the blood yeah. from the from the gunshots. You don't get to see it enough. It doesn't look like a film from 1999, does it? Uh, the graphics-wise in Toy Story. No, it doesn't. No, but, the animation but, is no, yeah, Toy, Toy Story cool. 1. I don't think Toy Story 1 looks 25 years old. It doesn't at all. Not at all. Um, Keenan, I know uh, you're a Randy Newman fan. Which soundtrack do you think is better? Uh, it is Django. Uh, Sean's on Django as well, and, and I agree also. The yes. song about Schultz and, and he's, he's got a horse named King. Uh, <laughs> I love that when they know they've got a good track, so they use it twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we're getting the most out of this. Do you say Django as well, Jack? Yeah. Um, which film do you think has more originality, Keenan? Sean's Gone Django. Uh, y- yes, so have I. Jack? Django for me. I agree. Um, bigger impact. Sean has gone Toy Story. What do you say, Keenan? Yeah, the same. Jack? Has to be Toy Story. Opening scene. Has Sean given me an answer for this? Sean's gone Toy Story. What about you, Keenan? Django. Jack? Yeah, Django. That in that introduction to Sean. I, I, I do agree, actually. Um, best ending. What do you think, Keenan? Sean's gone Django. Toy Story. Jack? I'm giving it to Django. If it, I'm including the, Toy print, Story for me. the whole ensemble. Hang on. You're all right. Before the ever. Yeah, I've still got life in this one. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, yep. all good, mate. So, um, uh, chemistry. Sean has gone for Toy Story. What about you, Jack? Schultz in uh, Django is just that is brilliant chemistry. I can't see past it. Keenan, what about you? Toy Story. Yeah, I agree with Toy Story as well. Um, let me just total that up. I think that's a Toy Story win, isn't it? Doesn't look like it. But I'll just no, I think Django wins, it. right? Got a lot of toys. Um, yeah, it's a 6 5 win for Django. Wow, close. Um, and Django did have the safety of the preference vote, though, as well. So, True. really, it, it was clear by two. So, that does us for that week. Django goes through to the next round. Uh, next week is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone against the Goonies. Jesus Christ, you really don't. You're not doing me any favours, are you? As soon as you... What, you don't like Harry Potter now as well? Fuck me, I've never I've never claimed anything else. I read all the books. Christ alive. I have to give you credit, you do seem to dislike things, yet weirdly stick around afterwards, so... I'm doing the pod, aren't I? Yeah, but I mean, you've read all the books, is what I mean. I read all the books as a kid. Mate, yeah. they were massive. in my house. It was massive. My dad, my therefore minimum of the fourth, fifth, and sixth one. I can't remember about the seventh. I remember the seventh. We uh, was the only one that I ever had in hardback. Uh, in as a hardback book it came as a black book, a black hardback book. Um, for the fourth, fifth, and sixth, my dad went to the midnight release, and so my because my mum was quite. She would like read like two pages and just fall asleep. Yeah. So my dad could read it at the same time rather than having to wait for her. Yeah. He would buy multiple copies. So for like each time that the Harry Potter book was released, there was 
at least three, at least three, maybe four copies floating in a, in a house of seven, so that they could be read. Looking at round two, Keenan, um, it's for you. I mean, they're quite down the line. Like Skyfall against Revenge of the Sith and Lord of the Rings against Django seems fairly obvious choices for you. Yes. Um, we got the points to consider, Jack. I know um, you can yeah, be on a I, tight schedule if you I've, want to bounce. Then me and Keenan can. Uh, yeah, finish cheers, off. boys. I want to shoot. But yeah, good for boys. Catch boys later. Adios. See you later. Have a long one again, Keenan. That's mm. what we do. Um, do this. I'll just do it Tesco this evening. So, um, real star of the film. We've answered for Toy Story and Django. Um, fan theories I don't have. Recasting one role. Tough to do for Toy Story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's too, it's too iconic, mate. Like just across the board. I'm trying to think. Actually, I'm just going to Google it because I think in the on the top from the top of my head, I think I know who it is who plays Al. I just want to make sure I'm right. Could you see Seth Rogen doing ham? Uh, yes, in this day and age, of course you can. It's just a snarky, just little one-liners. Well, strangely, could see John Ham doing ham. No, I think he's too serious. That's kind of what he is. No, yeah, but it's, it's different. Like the guy, it, the guy who plays it, he's, he's basically in it, like every Pixar film for like. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's the guy that does uh, Ham in this, I believe. It's John Latzenhammer or something like that. Ratzenberger. There we are. <laughs> um, I, I actually I messaged for an interview thinking that he just did Toy Story and then I clicked and was like, okay, he's actually done like everything. Yeah, he's, he's in be too almost busy. <laughs> every Pixar film. No, yeah, quite literally every, every one he's been in. Yeah. Um, what a gig. He was in Who Gandhi. You... Pardon? He was in Gandhi. Run, very random, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, recasting in Django, um, what would you do there? I'm quite interested to see how Joseph Gordon-Levitt was going to be put in as a slaver. I find that, that so like frazzling because Leo is like babyface, but he's got a certain... Edge to like him. edge to him, yeah. He's done the, the he's done the departed, and he's done the really departed by yeah. by this point and stuff. So you know he's he's got it, and he's done a couple of other other things as well. But Gordon Levitt is just he's like the him he's like Michael Sarah levels of like I'm not casting you as this awful as, horrible uh, person. Yeah, as anything but a nice guy. I mean, like the closest he gets to it is actually strangely Don Don Juan uh, Don Don John, sorry, where he's a porn yeah. Yeah, and he's a bit. He's just a. He is just a weird guy. I um. I saw that cinema with um, Townsend. Did not know what we were letting ourselves in for. Weird and thing. Then, like, for... That opening montage comes in and was like, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, rough. Um, if the cast swapped, which film works best? Well, given as as I'm, I'm looking at the cast, the same thought. <laughs> Give it, I'm looking at the cast of Toy Story 2. <laughs> yeah. And I've got to be honest, I'm not sure who plays Django, mate. Yeah, um, that's my thoughts. So, uh, if, if I'm honest. Django doing Toy Story is, is your play. Yeah. Who would Jamie Foxx do there? Because, I mean, he's, he's one of the biggest names there, but I'd love him with Mr. Potato Head. Uh, I, Jamie, Jamie Foxx. Or Rex. No, is there anyone? I don't, don't know. I mean, Jamie Foxx would, would be buzz for me. Okay. 
Christoph Waltz having a bit of a light, a bit of a lilt, or whatever you want to call it, in his voice would be would be Woody, but as more of a maybe. Yeah. It may, but I think I'm basing that on the Tim Allen having quite you know like a deep, fairly yeah. gruff voice, and Jamie Fox having not the same voice, but compared to Christoph Waltz, who yeah. thought it might be the accent is almost lyrical when he talks. Um, maybe, maybe that's where I get it from. That's his last questions because I'm a bit strapped there as well. Um, if you had to add Hayden Christensen or Christian Slater to the film, which would it be? Which one are you putting Hayden Christensen in? Yeah, he goes into Toy Story. He goes in Django for me. Does he? I I'm mainly, I'm mainly because I don't think his voice. I can't pick. I can't put his voice in Toy Story Two. Maybe I'm making one Slater's of the brothers you can put in. Maybe I'm making one of the brothers that Django yeah. just gets rid of uh, this one I think is fairly easy for me as well if you had to add either Harrison Ford or Paul Rudd to each film which would it be it's got Harrison, be Paul Rudd in Toy Story and Harrison yeah. Ford Django isn't it? Harrison yeah. Rudd Harrison Ford sorry just goes in as a, a slave owner or something Paul Rudd that would be a great Woody mm, yeah nice uh, which low key piece of memorabilia would you take from the movie Django sunglasses are you taking a stinky peek no, give me, give me, give me bullseye or. or you mean a rock and sock and robots? No, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you could. You can actually go out and buy them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if they they're like a collector's piece now or something, or if they I, I actually don't yeah, know. No, they're but, pretty yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Django. I, I want I want um, Django's um, his outfit from. Uh, he's kind of blue, kind of looks like a one piece with the uh, white cravat. I want the I sunglasses. Look, I look dashing in that. Get me a sunglasses. Wedding in that. Or um, <laughs> I like, I mean, you'd never get away with these days, but I like the cigarette holders, the long yeah. ones. Quite dignified. Finally, if you had to make a spin off TV series in the world of one of the films, which would it be? They have made spin off TV series of yeah. Toy Story about Buzz yeah. Lightyear, etc. I actually would like love to see Jamie Foxx in. I don't know how well it would work, and I don't think it would be particularly. I don't think it would be particularly workable. But if you offered me like a six-part Netflix series of J- Django the Bounty Hunter, I would definitely yeah. watch it. Um, this, is, this I, I agree with the side there. I'd love a uh, podcast with uh, Mr. Potato Head and Ham just talking about life. Mm, but it reminds me of. Um, I can never ever remember what they've called, what they are called, and I probably should because at different points in my life I've been compared to them multiple times. But it, remi- it would remind me of the two guys from the Muppets, yeah, Waldorf and oh, yeah, can't remember what his name. Might be like, I don't need them with guests. I just want them to just like spitballing about life. Mm, yeah, but my red film's about to die, so we'll call it a day there. Another two and a half hour epic. So uh, hopefully people weren't too sick of us last week um so thanks again for listening to another edition of movie madness uh we'll be back next week as we said harry potter and the philosopher's stone against the goonies so uh we'll see how we go do you know what the goonies uh no okay um should have sean back next week hopefully uh we'll have a nice full house back so phil will be a goonies man there you were Goodbye.